Hello and welcome to another episode of We Have Such Films to Show You, the podcast that I'm totally not doing a second take on introducing. Uh, this is episode 45. Uh, we are looking at the classic Wes Craven 1984 film, A Nightmare on Elm Street, not the 2010 remake, which I still haven't seen. Starring uh, uh, the other guy from Supernatural. No, no, uh, no, that was the Friday the... Wait, was... No. One of them's in... Wait. One, one's, one's, in, one's in Friday the 13th that we haven't seen, or that I haven't seen, the remake. The other one was in the remake of oh. uh, 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 My Bloody Valentine, My Bloody Valentine 3D, May We Never Speak of oh. Again. So I don't know who's in the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, let, let's assume it's uh, Misha, what, what's-his-face from Supernatural. Collins? Yeah, yeah. It's probably I, I, no, it's, it's Jackie Earl Haley, who you might know. I don't know who that is. No, I don't. <laughs> anyway, that's not what we watched. We watched the, uh, the classic with uh, Johnny Depp, with introducing Johnny Depp before he dropped the introducing off his name uh, and started just going by Johnny. Uh, and, and they a bunch also of credited other Freddy Krueger as Fred Krueger, and he I just is... wish the credit was just for John Depp. <laughs> <laughs> that, Introducing that, John Depp. I'd sort of forgotten about the the, the Fred Krueger thing. I, you know, honestly, I I've seen this film, you know, probably two or three times previously um, over the course of many years, and and I hadn't seen it particularly recently. Um, and I had forgotten a number of little things about it. You know, I mean, there was nothing big like, oh, my God, I totally forgot this major aspect of the film or anything. Uh, but I had significantly forgotten a lot of details, um, including, uh, like, the, the exact opening, you know, with the, the, the putting together of the claw hand thing. And I really didn't oh, even yeah. know how to orient that in my head for whether or not this was a backstory flashback or a bit of a dream sequence or a mixture of both i don't know um but yeah no it really it, it, it took me uh by surprise in a few little spots where there was stuff i really didn't uh this is um the first time that i uh what do you call it um this is the first time i watched it all the way through i think because the last time i tried to watch it um I was in a much more precarious time in my life, and, like, my anxiety was a lot worse. Being my friend, like, who also, like, has anxiety stuff, like, sat down to watch it in, like, about 20 minutes, and we're like, oh, nope. I don't think I can watch this. Yeah. And and now, um, yeah, now it's much, uh, it was it was much better to watch. But this movie is scary as hell. Um, I, I, I found it to be, like, really genuinely frightening at, part, at parts, which is sort of a rare thing we run into surprisingly i would say i was not at any point scared during this and i think maybe it's because uh i'd had a couple beers and i was pretty relaxed maybe it's because i've seen it a few times maybe it's because uh i came to the series uh in part three which i think they had polished up some of the like consistent tone of spookiness and weirdness and ramped it up significantly uh by that one compared to the first one um but yeah, I, I, for whatever reason, I was. This was a very academic exercise for me watching this. I mean, I, I enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it in sort of a oh hey, that's a neat little trick they pulled there, and oh hey, that's a nice move, and oh well, that's a little bit bodgy, but I can see what they're going for. Like I, I, I felt very analytical the whole time. So it's it's interesting that we had such different reactions to it. Have you seen this? Uh, so, we, but well, you, know, you just said this is the first time you've seen it all the way through. So maybe yeah. that makes really just a big difference. Um, did did it have the overall shape you were expecting it to have in terms of plot? Like, were you um, surprised by any of the direction it went in? I'm surprised at how it sort of uh, did that Home Alone thing at the end. I, I wasn't expecting <laughs> that. 
<laughs> like I don't know why I was expecting. That was very Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's you know, it's the same thing as. Uh, what do you call it? The third act of Skyfall, where it also unexpectedly just turns into. Home yeah, let's, let's start. Let's start setting up booby traps and. Well, they yeah. they even they even presage that with her looking at the survival book while out yeah, on that bridge with Johnny, with introducing Johnny. Uh, that's his name from now on for the rest of the podcast. If we ever don't call him introducing Johnny, uh, we're I. not J. respecting. Depp. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, I, I, I'm I'm Josh Millard, by the way, the host who introduced himself uh, too late in the show for it to really make a difference. And I'm John Depp. Yes. Um, yeah, what the hell was I saying? <laughs> I think you were saying you thought it was scary. Yeah, yeah, so I thought it was scary, and I thought, like, a lot of the scares were effective. And, I mean, I had ended up, like, we... we, we, we usually, I usually play D&D on Sundays, and then I just get home from D&D, and I, you know, walk the dog and go to bed, but it was a... You know, it wasn't a... a uh, what do you call it? A school night. Um, so nobody had work the next day, so we hung out, like, for a little while after, and, like, had some beers, and then I got home. Um, and then I sat down and watched this movie, and by the time I sat down and watched the movie, it was, like, 11.30 at night, and I thought it'd be like, oh, yeah, this is great. You know, it's the perfect time. You know, it's nighttime. I'm, like, a little drowsy, so, you know, it's not so bad. But then I just kept nodding off throughout the movie, and, like, there's a musical swell every time something scary happens, <laughs> and that woke me up more. It, it, you know, so I you'd be woken up by a musical swell to be scared see maybe that's yeah. part of why you found it scary too is like you actually had a little bit more of genuine like you know uh off kilterness uh yeah when good spooky true. stuff was happening but the other thing is it just made me feel incredibly old because apparently i can't stay up past midnight anymore if i get up at like seven o'clock in the day yeah no i'm in the same boat uh we watched it actually earlier than that i think we had the movie done by like ten thirty. um but uh i had still been sort of like a little bit mm, i should well you know and i was moderating too um, so it was a weird thing where I was like watching the movie, taking notes on the movie and was still on shift on Metafilter cause it was working just a long weekend day. Uh, and there wasn't much going on, on the site, but I also had that sort of like change of, uh, I don't know, attention. So I was sort of going between the two a little bit. And also I kind of needed to keep the laptop in like a work ready posture. And I don't know. It was all a complicated mix of things, but anyway, yeah, it's, it's interesting that we are both sort of groggy like that. Um, and hopefully, hopefully it doesn't compromise too much our analysis of the film. But I feel like I was there for the whole thing. I like the part where my gym teacher was in it, and uh, he was nude entirely. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure what it had to do with the movie, but I, I, I enjoy, it was you know a little personal touch for me. Oh well, yeah, the scene where you couldn't find your locker combination, yeah. and, and you weren't sure what the second period class was. Yeah, I had the same dream. Oh my god, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Fred Krueger. Like, like is Fred the Kruger. is the only time anybody calls him Freddy in this? The little kids doing the nursery rhyme. No, I think he refers to himself as Freddy. When? Um, at some point during the movie. Okay, good answer. Good, good <laughs> and solid answer. Compromised. I wish I wish I'd paid because uh, you know it, I, I wish I'd like kept a closer eye out for it because he's Freddy throughout my notes because it's fucking Freddy. Of course right. it's Freddy. Yeah. No one no one talks about oh who's your favorite monster? Oh, villain? here we go. Fred. To IMDb. He's uh, he says come to Freddy at some point. Oh, okay. Well, that's something. Still though, still though, pretty consistently. And then Nancy refers to him as Freddy. Uh, Does she? She refers to him interchangeably as both Fred and Freddy. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, and then, okay. Um, Freddy wears Tina mask. What? I don't remember that. Yeah, no, no. Just he's he's chasing her into the house during. The, I think I think when fucking Glenn falls asleep when he was supposed to be watching for her in her bedroom, uh, she ends up in her dream running from Freddy into the house, and then 
uh, he punches his like claw hand through the 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 peephole window in the front door, and then in Tina's voice says like you know, Nancy help me or or something, while a unconvincing mask of Tina's face is sort of draped over his face, and then he drops it and you know giggles. Uh, it, it's it's a real quick little throwaway scene. You probably slept through it, um, but uh, but yeah, that happened. Okay. It, it, I would I would say it was a less well executed talking humorously with someone's face in front of your face scene than the one we saw in Wolf Cop for the last show. Oh, you know what? That's what, what uh, the one thing that surprised me about this is that. Um, you know, I'm relatively up on my Nightmare on Elm Street lore, and it's just been, you know, you can't grow up, like, as a kid in the 90s watching, like, American-made cartoons and not be, like, absolutely inundated with, you know, equal parts Freddy and Jason, basically. Um, and, you know, I, I knew that the films, like, at some point just basically devolve into uh, Freddy making bad puns or shitty jokes while killing people in creatively uncreative ways basically yeah um and but i had no idea it had like that that uh that sort of tone of like levity and like you know uh tricksteriness prankiness to his character all the way from the start yeah so i was surprised and i mean it wasn't you know it was not executed as badly as like all of like the the numerous numerous clips i remember watching from um from uh, from the other you know ones like where he's got the power glove and when he's got like the syringe fingers <laughs> and and uh, so on um, and yeah but yeah like there's like the the moment where he like jumps out from behind the tree uh, <laughs> I was, that. yeah that was hilarious I, and on purpose yeah um, well, it's 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 a it's a movie full of uh, a lot of fun ideas like this is totally a oh what if we did this oh what if we did that and then they execute on them and the execution's a little bit varied but but generally speaking there's a lot of stuff if you want to watch a movie looking for goofy fun you know, one-off shots that uh, a horror movie could have. Uh, this is chock full of them, and I really enjoyed that about it. I had sort of forgotten how much it was almost like a demo reel of, yeah, but what if we did this? What if yeah. we did this effect? What if we had this happen? You know, there's a, like a, a lot of my notes is just calling out specific little things that clearly, you know, Wes Craven or someone else involved was like, hey, but what if we, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's full of it. Did you did you notice that there's like a dramatic amount of overlap between this and it follows, like just in visual themes? And you stuff? know, I I, I I was just talking about that uh, with Angela this morning. Actually, yeah, it's it, it is interesting that there are uh, a number of of overlaps there. You know, not least including uh, the fact that you know this is a movie in which most of the parents are essentially uh, while the parents are present in this film. Technically, they're not super present. You know, they, they're, they're mostly just in denial or kind of shitty people who don't pay attention. And the kids are very much the... Who all teamed up to murder a man. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's the most interesting thing about the parents of the film. And we just don't get that much of it. Like, you know, I guess there's the, the, the sort of text of it is that, you know, they were varyingly, you know, maybe harmed by having done that. You know, just the, the moral weight of committing right. a vigilante murder. Um but yeah, yeah, you've got the sort of kids without parents as resources, the question of fundamental disbelief of this thing that's happening to you. Um, uh, There's a scene where poetry is read while scary things are about to happen. <laughs> yes. 
that like giant torrent of blood uh, coming out from when IJ Depp is killed. Uh, yes, reminded me of like you know the 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 pool of uh, like you know just like that that huge amount of blood that turns up in the pool after uh, they they shoot it in the head. Yeah. Which, um, which, which, in turn, also. I mean, I, I also connect the scene in my mind. I guess I connect any giant torrent of blood in slow motion with The Shining, and so yeah, the the, the three yeah. of those definitely triangulate for me. Um, whereas the 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 Nightmare on Elm Street version of it is a little bit more literal with the torrent of gushing blood, right. whereas the one in It Follows felt much more sort of you know spiritually resonant with the feel of the scene from The Shining, because yeah. um, the the torrent of blood in 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 this film, it's just sort of silly. I mean, it's... it's oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a... Uh, it's like a... Uh, what do you call it? One of those... It's a geyser. Um, yeah, yeah, one of those, like, uh, science fair volcanoes. <laughs> like someone mixed up a bunch of yeah. IJ Depp and a bunch of baking soda in, in underneath the bed, and then it comes streaming yeah. out. And they shot it... It was, it was pretty cool that the way that they shot it with, like, the inverted... Uh, with the inverted room, so it looks like it's, you know, it's shooting up out of the hole, but then, you know, when, when the shot zooms out a bit, you see it, like, collecting on the ceiling. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's an, they, 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 like, they used an inverted... Uh, the, like, the inverted room thing in this movie a couple of times. And it, yeah. And, uh, I, I think it was pretty successful. Um, it, uh, you know, the, the when... Uh, what's her name? Dawn? What's, what's the name of the blonde girl? Uh, Tina. Tina, yeah. When Tina uh, is, you know, when she dies and she's like being thrown or like all over the room and dragged across the ceiling and up the walls, I think that 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 was like genuinely to me like a pretty scary scene, especially when she just like floats up. And it they they did a good job covering up the wires, you know. It's, yeah, uh, no, that was that was that was really nicely done. Uh, yeah, that that that's that that whole scene with Tina seems like it must have been a complicated collection of, of shots. Yeah, because uh, yeah, they they had to do some sort of wire work floating up off the bed, and then they had to go to some sort of inverted room yeah. thing. I was clear on exactly the inverted room thing. Like, uh, what's her name? Uh, her her boyfriend is in the foreground of the shot. Yeah, which makes which, it like all the you yeah know, weirder looking. Like, do you think they? Do you think they? Uh, my my guess is they actually just suspended him on whatever the fuck they were doing with that set. Um, but they could have comped that in too instead. I don't know. Uh, I don't know which it actually was. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, hey, maybe we can watch that four-hour documentary that's on Netflix. <laughs> there is, uh, yeah, there's currently uh, what's it called Never Sleep Again. It's like a four-hour-long documentary on Netflix. Um, part of it was in a Metafilter page uh, post at one point. I think uh, there was an excerpt from it where they just discuss how incredibly gay a Nightmare on Elm Street Two is. <laughs> And you know, it turns out like the 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 guy that wrote the script was in fact gay, and it, it was not like you know, oops, it's inadvertently homoerotic. No, it was you know certainly on purpose. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, and it was like it was it was a really sort of just like interesting interesting take on it because it wasn't um, you know, it it wasn't like you know, uh, it, it wasn't done in. In a homophobic way, just because I guess... Oh, and, and I believe the actor playing the kid that is just, like, you know, having, like, the, the issues uh, presented to him, um, that, you know, that he's gay, and also that Freddy is chasing him, I think it turned out that he was gay as well. Um, I could be totally misremembering this, but, yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was surprisingly, like, uh, done... Not sensitively, that's not the word at all, but just without, like pointing to it, which I guess because a lot of 
people involved didn't know. Yeah, just just more sort of a, a, a subtext uh, in the film as an eight, uh, just as a circumstance of the where the writers coming from and so on, rather than trying. Yeah, to like either a, a you pick up on it, it and it's there and it's just part of the movie, or you just miss it entirely. Yeah. Um. So that's Nightmare on Elm Street two. And yeah, it's called uh, Never Sleep Again. Oh, and the, I mean the reason um, the reason we actually picked uh, Nightmare on Elm Street to do was because I saw that Netflix had uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which I think did you, I think you talked about it at length that did in some episode. Yeah, I think um, I talked about it at some point. I don't even remember what we were. We, we must have been talking about some other film that that got a little bit meta or something. Uh, yeah. yeah, I remember going on about it for a little bit. Um. But probably, yeah. um, I, I bet probably uh, the Sutter Kane one. What do you call it? Oh, you know, I, I, I that yeah, I bet that's it. You know, Event Horizon or not Event <laughs> Horizon? <laughs> God damn it, Sam Neill! You've only been in one movie. We've just watched it differently every time. Uh, yeah, Jurassic yes, Park. yes. Um, anyway, yeah, no, no, I, I, I bet that's where we're talking about it. And yeah, no, I, and I'm looking forward to watching that again too. I mean, that's half of what got me on board with this. Like, I was, I was going to be on board at any point if you were like, "Hey, let's do Nightmare on Elm Street." I'd be like, "Yeah, let's do it." But uh, thinking about it in terms of also then watching New Nightmare near to it, uh, I really like the idea of sort of looking at that because cause being able to see Wes Craven sort of like coming back to it 10 years later uh, and, and really try and do something more than like just – like was he even involved uh, – how much was he involved in the actual sequels? To, to Nightmare. Oh, uh, Nightmare Elm Street 2. Let's see if his only credit is story or characters. Uh, let's see, directed by Jack Shoulder. Um, where is the cast and crew on this? Looks like on 3 he's just credited a story and he has a different director as well. So, so yeah, cast he didn't stay crew, with... Wes Craven. Uh, yeah, this, even the second one, Wes Craven is just credited with characters. Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, I think I think the, the the first one and New Nightmare are the only ones that are his. Um, uh, Heather Heather Langenkamp plays Nancy in this, and I, I was just looking through her uh, uh, her her credits here, and uh, she's also in three, which I remember because that was one of the things she shows up at near the end of Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three. Uh, the Dream as, Warriors, yes, uh, and and then I think she gets killed by Freddy. Then. Um, but you know she's she's been in other stuff, uh, but uh, apparently she played Nancy Kerrigan in N- Tanya and Nancy: The Inside Story, which totally makes sense because she can totally sort of pull off a Nancy Kerrigan sort of thing. She's got a similar uh, face, and I was, I, I, maybe that's why she seemed a little bit more familiar than she would have been based just on having seen you know a couple of Nightmare on Street films. So there you go, yep. Heather Langenkamp. Uh, <laughs> the- Fun name to say. It is. It's got it's got a nice uh, you know rhythm to it. The poster for this, I remember the original poster uh, for this was really uh, great. Uh, you know, I I am you a link here, but uh, it was uh, it, it, it was one of the nicer bits of semi abstract horror cover that was still not just. Sort of thing. It's actually just a really great sort of like weird freaky. You know, watercolory uh, image uh, of like Heather and then Freddy's claw over there, and sort of like a abstract of Freddy's face ish floating there. Yeah, I, I love the the posters for all of these. Like even the even the bad 
or movies, uh, they they always did a really good job with the posters for the series. I'm trying to th- like, do I know other pe- like Johnny Depp? Obviously, we knew him. You know, we know him now as no longer introducing Johnny Depp. Uh, John Saxon is is Lancey's dad. He's been in a shitload of stuff, um, including he had a was lot he, of a lot of eyeliner on in this movie. <laughs> was he in uh, Enter the Dragon? I think he was. I think he was one of the... Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was in Under the Dragon. Also, apparently, birth name, Carmine Arico. Yeah. yeah I can see a it. a hell of a distance from John Saxon. Yeah, well, he decided he wanted to not just be in mob pictures, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, not a whole lot of other people that uh, I recognize. I mean, Robert Englund doesn't count because, you know, he's fucking Freddy Krueger, but... Uh, but um, I, 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 I... Not 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 that, like, who is in it is super important, but I also... I, I feel like... I will say, as much as I enjoyed a lot of this film, I did not think the acting in this film was particularly good. And I, I have a note here, and it's probably, I've got like, you know, when I started the notes, I've got, you know, one note that says, the glove, exclamation mark. Another note that says, these hallway scenes are very Hellraiser-y. Then, uh, oh, yeah. Fred in quotes, because I saw it in the, uh, yeah, the opening. Yeah, he's credited then, as Fred Krueger. Then just the words scary lamb and face zoom and then right there. I after also that, wrote down scary lamb is awful. <laughs> well, did you also write scary lamb? I did. I wrote scary lamb in all caps. It was not silent. It was it was an unsilent lamb and yes. all the scarier. Well, it. and 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 should we assume that it is a metaphorical representation of the predation of innocence by Fred Krueger? Or should we just think Wes Craven knew a guy with a farm and he's like, "Hey, you know it'd be weird an animal." No, it's definitely like it, it, it's it's I I I don't think they 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 picked you know I mean it's it's Hollywood if you know a guy with like a lamb you know a guy with a goat and a sheep and wait lambs are baby what they're baby they're they're baby uh, goats yeah wait that's no, where that's, that's what we get venison from <laughs> you're What's messing the, with me and I can't what, tell what, did we have this conversation last week. <laughs> I think we did. If not, then I apologize to everybody for that callback to a conversation I had with someone else not on this podcast. No, I'm, uh, I'm now actually remembering us having a having a discussion about what mutton came from. Yeah, I, I think. I don't I think, know if it was on the air or not. I, I think it um, might have been. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yes, yeah. No, that seemed like a. There's a lot of imagery, you know, tying into childhood stuff. The the, the chant, the one two phrase coming for you thing. Uh, is a recurring theme. Was that a schoolyard uh, chant when you were growing up? Yeah, did, did yeah. That hit by that point, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was I was five when this movie came out, so by the time I was like properly into like you know grade school, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street was very much flying high as a franchise, and and yeah, people would do that to fuck with each other and so on. Uh, yeah, no. So yeah, the the, the gauzy shots of little kids, you know, doing the jump rope and 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 singing that. Uh, which they then incorporate that that duh, duh, thing into a bunch of the like you know background music throughout the film too. If you listen for it, just that little well, interval sort of definitely you, calling back that. If you have a good late motif, why not abuse the hell? Exactly. Let's let, let's you know let's let's go heavy with this motif. Why go why go late with it? Let's early and often. I don't know which pun to make on on late. The what does late mean? Gets I, late. I know right. the phrase late motif, but I've never, you know, looked up the the actual meaning of the words. Uh, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll look it up at some point. Maybe I won't do it on the air because that could be really boring to listen to. But anyway, uh, yeah, okay. So 
So, so this is a general thing about this film, and, and this is this is something that I think works very much in its favor and helps paper over the fact that it has some of the same weird, goofy logic as a lot of horror films. Is that obviously it makes the decision to make it an issue early, you know, on that okay, well, things are happening in dreams, and dreams are weird, and so when shit's illogical and has dream logic, that's actually totally plot appropriate. Um, which which seems kind of clever because this would have been like this was eighty four you know the slasher genre was was very much on on the rise and becoming you know ha- had become probably basically the dominant sort of you know horror mode and a big part of pop culture at the time. Yeah, I mean, um, Halloween was uh, what seventy nine seventy eight something uh, like yeah, that. Yeah, seventy eight. So this is this is about six, and Halloween was I, I think like the 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 big one of those two. To kickstart it, in my opinion. Yeah, and Friday the Thirteenth had come along at this point as well. Um, yeah, so between those, like there was some major on the scene, you know, slasher horror type stuff. And I think uh, it's safe to say that that comes with a lot of sort of growing pop culture awareness and sort of probably rising collective instinctive criticism of the messiness and incoherence of a lot of uh, that those sort of films. And I'm, I'm sure. Uh, even more so some of the cheaper knock-ons that people were making that didn't yeah. blow up. Uh, you know, you go see a horror film and you see people do stupid stuff that doesn't make sense, but you also see the film just do stupid stuff that doesn't make sense. And it's like, why would that happen? This scene doesn't even make sense if you think about the previous scene, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, it happens because it's an awesome scene and we need the monster to kill this person and so let's just fucking run with it, right? Um, so you say, yeah, oh, I, but uh... it's dreams. Yeah, and I mean, like, that does explain, because there are uh, numerous scenes in this that just, like, are, you know, epitomizing, like, the horror movie stupid thing. Like, when um, Tina, like, you know, hears a voice in the middle of the night calling to her, like, wanders outside looking for it, not wearing pants. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's just stuff like that, um, where people just, like, make the worst possible decision they could because the plot, you know, requires it in order for something to happen to them. Yeah. But if you if you, if you you set up this this premise that we know or at least suspect at any given time that people are dreaming. And, it's, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you know, there, there are films that use the, oh, but it's dreams or is this really happening thing in a much more coy way. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think I think there's some value to that if you do it well, because if you can really make someone wonder which sort of thing they're looking at, you can you know fuck with expectations in both directions. You can like sell someone, oh well, this must be a dream, and then have something turn out not to be a dream, and that can you know really set up a, a, a weird sense of sudden tension or consequence, and vice versa. You can sort of ease into a dream and, and have things get you know slow cook into weirdness. This film doesn't, I don't feel really do that, but that's my perception having seen it a bunch. Um, uh, no, no, I, I, I don't think. Um, I mean, I, I think they travel between the regular world and the dream world often, and there are scenes which you know I don't know whether it took place in the real world, dream world, but it's never like given any sort of way, like that decision, like whether or not it's one or the other, isn't given that much weight. Or yeah. Like the 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 importance of it is like very much downplayed. It's not like all right. It's like there's no part of like you know the the the, the journey or or you know whatever of this movie is them like having to. It's it's not Inception. You know that they, they they don't have to figure out how to get from one place to another and which place they're in. Um, they seem to just usually rely on the fact that they're either going to die or wake up. Um, and you know uh, the. 
Freddy not coming for them in the real world is made very, very clear because, like everything that happens in you know the waking world, the it's uh, you know the 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 thing that's har- harming them is an invisible force, and then you can just immediately tell from that. Um, usually, yeah, yeah. Well, again, it's 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 a there's a there's a kind of bluntness to it that I I think yeah. is not you know to the film's discredit or anything, but I think it also means the film doesn't get as much credit for its premise as I would give a film that did some of this stuff more subtly. Like I, I, I like I like that they just straight up ran with this concept. And at the time it was probably even you know, I mean imagine I'm trying to imagine seeing this movie like in nineteen eighty four as, you know, a, yeah. a young adult maybe. And I think it probably would have been really exciting if the premise was so new to me. Whereas like now, like I like I said, you know, it it really felt sort of academic to watch it because uh, you know, I've, I've known this franchise forever. I've known the core premise of this forever. You know, as much as anything, I was watching to see if I could figure out any specific details that contradicted my understanding of the sort of Freddy mythos and, and the mechanics of uh, him attacking people in dreams and whatnot. And I feel like the film, the, the film does not do as satisfying, I guess, a job as I would have liked of delineating it, the mechanics of its own premise. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely true. Um, uh, you're never quite sure why. I mean, not not why anything is something is happening, but there's never like when something happens, you you usually can't. Um, what the hell am I trying to say? I don't know. Yeah, I don't I, know, man. <laughs> Circle around, bring it back around. I will. I will say. I, I, again, I would compare this to It Follows in a sense in that way because I feel like one of the things we noted with It Follows is we had a lot of mechanical questions about the film, but they were rarely uh, things that felt like the film was disappointing for not having answered so much as stuff that right. the film just delighted because that's not the story it was telling about its specific stuff. Um, so I felt pretty satisfied with the level of disclosure that that film chose to go with as <laughs> as far as how it matched up with its storytelling and I feel like this was a this was a messier film in that sense in terms of uh, not necessarily being clear about the rules it was playing with and I think it was it was much more a premise in service of you know cool scenes and you know an overall story they were trying to tell rather than something where they were really really inspired by the unique opportunities of of the premise to tell a, a powerful story about uh, teenagers and you know agency and disbelief yeah. and so on. You know, it, it, yeah, it wasn't day, that movie. Um, yeah, it, it was still basically. Yeah. I mean, this was a you know horrory slashery fic. Yeah, and I mean, like you, you, they, they 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 do the thing where like you know the the you know in, the villain you know the monster or sometimes it's a monster sometimes it's a person is somehow just like incredibly hardy like you know you see it in Jason where he's just injured and just comes back up you see it in uh, in uh, Halloween you see it in Scream you know they beat the crap out of uh, Ghostface and you know he keeps he keeps coming back yeah uh, to like uh, and then you, you know um, and, and in this one like sort of the same thing happens all the way at the end of the third act when it does that Home Alone thing, but it never explains why that would work in a dream. Yeah. Or, or you know, it's... it. it you have, like, a feeling that, like, you know, uh, Nancy is able to 
is it Nancy? It's Nancy, right? Nancy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nancy is able to like take control of like the dream realm and like exercise like some sort of power in it. But she uses it in such a mundane way that you know it it feels like all of a sudden he's got like a vulnerability that you know is just not not. Um, it it just doesn't just doesn't combine well with what we've been told before. It's not like completely off, but there's just something wrong with it, especially with all the uh, like the numerous like self mutilation things he does. Yeah, like like, like um, the enti- yeah the entirety of her plan is basically pull him out into the real world, and then Dad can shoot him, right? Something like that, and I'm not sure at which point she thinks she pulled him out. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, it, I mean, it's the word, you know, she hugs him, like, as he's trying to kill her, and then her alarm goes off, and then he's in the real world, but is, you is know... Is it really the real world, or did she it, actually wake and, up, and... And the, that question is just not answered in a very satisfactory way at all. Yeah. And it's posed in such a way that the answer matters. Um... Yeah, I mean, then, I, yeah. I think you could make the argument. I mean, the the recurring theme of the Nightmare on Elm Street films is that even if the kids win at the end, Freddy's still not dead. I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, I think, may be the first one where, like, it seems like they really, really got him at the end. Like, there's this whole thing with holy water, and it turns out Freddy Krueger is maybe the uh, son of... Uh, a, a nun who was raped or something like that. And so they end up like finding the bones of his grave or of her grave or something. And there's a whole scene where simultaneously stuff is happening in reality and in dreams. And I think in reality, Freddy Krueger's bones maybe get up and try and kill people like a skeleton version of him while in the dream another squad is dealing with him and trying to take him out. And I think he gets like scattered with holy water. That maybe is what ends up taking him out at the end of the film. And so they finally beat Freddy. But then at the end of the film, uh, a model of his house ends up like glowing and, you know, it's like, Oh wait, uh, Freddy's not really dead after all. And then, you know, they made four and five and so on. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a tricky thing. Cause it's hard to make a villain who is menacing in an interesting way uh, invincible and still have there be any drama to fight yeah. him, obviously, is like the big problem. And that's that's sort of, I think, a, a, a running fair criticism of, of franchise horror in particular is like, if you know that they want to make another movie, if you know that this character is a good character who everybody likes this monster, you know you can't really kill him, which means every attempt to do so is going to feel a little bit hollow. You know, and by the time you're making number three, number four, number five, you're like, ah, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, obviously, they're not going to kill, kill him because they're going to make another movie, you know. And, and yeah. so the, the stakes change in a very it's, – it's hard to get on board with, like, the hero move. At, the, at best, you could be like, oh, get on board with that cool thing that person did uh, before either escaping or getting killed. One or the other is going to happen. You know, if they escape, maybe they'll get killed at the beginning of the next film. Uh and yeah, Freddy doesn't seem to really be an exception to that. And we get like the idea of combating him here, but we don't really get any successful combating. And then the film ends in a weird gauzy dream, turns into nightmare thing, and uh, which I liked. I actually I, I, I like that ending scene, um, even though it was kind of cheesy and kind of very much. Uh, they they came up with the ending before they came up for a reason to have an ending. <laughs> um, 
you know, they're just like, this is what we, this is like the cool, you know, like, uh, fake out, you know, and then the eyes open sort of ending scene, like, but it just doesn't, I mean, it, it kind of works, but it's, it's such a weird scene. It's like that bird at the end of, um, Blue Velvet. Do you know, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen that in a while. I don't remember all, the bird. All the way at the end of, of Blue Velvet, like, they, they have this conversation about, like, how, you know, oh, things are better because, and then, like, uh, the bluebirds are out. And then there's, uh, you know, like, a, a close shot of, like, this incredibly weirdly fake-looking bluebird that's supposed to be very, very fake-looking. Um, and it's it's just a weird shot, and that sort of reminded me of that, where it's just like, you know what, I'm going to stop drinking. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the weirdest thing. Like, you were, you were hiding your... It's like, are you not hiding it anymore? Are you, you know, okay? Because, like, her mother was clearly concealing it from her, but then just, you know, she was very clearly drunk and... Probably not for the first time, considering how little surprise there was with her daughter. Yeah. Um, where she was, like, more frustrated than anything, so I figured that might be, like, a frequent thing. And well, yeah, I, just, I, I think the mom was very much supposed to be, like, a, a sort of closet alcoholic seemed like the implication. Yeah. Um, and just not um, very, very good at closeting it at, once you start paying any attention. Really like that, whatever, that, 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 that frosted clear bottle vodka or something. Yeah, that's got to be. Yeah, I, I guarantee you that's vanilla vodka. That uh, that is that that looks like a thing of vanilla vodka. I don't know. I just immediately went to that. I think maybe is is the absolute one frosted. Don't drink a lot of vanilla vodka anymore. <laughs> well, like okay, so so we've got the mom. Nancy's mom is an alcoholic. I'm not sure what else she was. I I I got this vibe at one point. She was wearing like a blue blazer in the morning, and I yeah. decided real estate agent. But that that maybe is just because I associate blazers with real estate agents more than I do with the '80s. Uh, which is maybe yeah. the actual thing that was going on there. Did you have a sense yeah. of and what did, what, did, what did not make clear what she did, or I mean, any of the parents really? Well, the, um, the dad, Nancy's dad, dad, was a cop. Yeah, yeah, like, we got that really clearly. But um, John Depp's parents, uh, no idea what they're. You know, at, at no point is it either of them is uh, described. Although I bet his dad's like a plumber. That guy had like a very plumbery sort of vibe. You know, he yeah, he had sort of a I don't know. I I, I got this sort of like you know to some extent his dad was obviously like a jerk because you know yeah. uh, he didn't understand what was going on, but his dad was also totally understandably being a jerk. He's like, yeah. why are you calling in the middle of the fucking night to say it's important that you talk to my son? Like that's that's <laughs> a, that's a dumb fucking thing to do. Of course, apparently, yeah. like, get up and you know he's so it's like I. But so here's the thing: Should we assume that the both parents of everybody who was stalked in this was part of the vigilante mob? That's the other thing. Uh, the movie, the, that part of the movie, there is no way for me to figure out how that works. That the entire town came together to murder this man. Yeah, and then but, you know who? I mean, I guess it's it might be just the parents of the the, the four kids involved. And I guess it just so happens that they're friends. Like yeah, it, it was I, a big coincidence that they're friends, and it was their parents that you know who did this. Um, or and you know if it's such a small town, why wouldn't the judge just you know like? Can, is it really that easy to get get them off on a technicality because the warrant wasn't signed? And the warrant yeah. for what? <laughs> that, that 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 whole bit seemed a little bit like 
I, I think it'd be one thing if, like, yeah, it was a, it was a, there was sketchy evidence, and then something fell through on this one murder. But it's like if everybody unambiguously knows this guy murdered twenty kids, and then it's like, oh yeah, but that search warrant. He didn't get the signature. I guess he's free. You know, it's like I, I, I realize, you know, the idea of a technicality could this play is the kind something. of police work I expect from Grimm. But, but yeah, I mean, this establishes like it establishes such a complete lack of you know potential for nuance or you know human intervention in the process of you know prosecution and adjudication. There to say, oh well, I'm sorry, we have to let the terrible murderer go because everybody yeah. knows that he didn't get a signature on this thing. So yeah, it's, it, it feels, it feels pretty goofy. Um, yeah. you know, it's like they could have roughly as goofy as, um, what do you call it? Uh, Nancy's mom keeping the murder weapon. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that. I liked that, that, that the glove was just hiding in that, uh, yeah. disused, uh, whatever, uh, not furnace, but just little, Boiler. Stove, yeah. Stove, yeah. Um, uh, in their basement. Yeah, it's like I've got like the the the, the murder weapon from like the most gruesome series of murder child murders this town has ever seen. Yeah, I kept it as a memento of this guy yeah. we killed. Well, and did they did they did did they physically take it off him, or did they just go to his house? Or well, I guess that boiler room, the 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 the, the or boiler facility like I, I was that supposed to be under the school or was that I, I assume that was just a bit of dream logic and like there's a boiler yeah. facility elsewhere because that's a big fucking you know industrial environment for but the basement she, of a school like at the end of the thing where she goes to like get Freddy out of the dream she goes into like four sub basements that yeah. are I guess supposed to be located inside of her house yeah like, when she, I don't, she yeah. enters the basement repeatedly and I thought that was actually a pretty good like bit of like dream sort of imagery thing because it's clear that she's like all right she's entered a basement now she finds a door and she's going into another weirder basement yeah um and uh, it was just obvious enough to work as you know what they intended it to work at like i think if they tried to go any more subtle with that it would just be like are is the house supposed to be this weirdly constructed i mean clearly not but it's you know i'm, I'm glad they didn't try to do like a shining with it yeah yeah there's li- little little notes of uh of uh, oh, what the hell was I going to say? Oh, si- Silent Hill there, um, or you know, in the other direction too. The whole wandering into the industrial environment, uh, sort of dream architecture feeling, <laughs> made me think of that. Uh, but yeah, it's a uh, the the acting is very sort of. Uh, um, I don't know how old Heather Langenkamp was in this film. She has a line at one point where she says. Uh, she's looking in the mirror, it's like, and she's like, "God, I look 20. And I, <laughs> she was twenty. Yeah. So eighty-four, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, may, may have been a winking reference there, anyway, to the fact that she was supposed to be playing younger or something. But uh, I thought that was also a decent line for a high schooler, I guess. Like the idea that, oh no, I'm so old, I'm in my twenties. Um, yeah, that uh, reminds me of a line from. Uh, have you seen Brick? I have not. I need to see that sometime. Um, they're describing like the you know everybody in the movie is like a young adult whether like a teenager playing a teenager just slightly older than teenagers and like when he's trying to get like information about like who like you know the big guy in charge there's like yeah it's like you know I don't know his name but he was he was old like 23 and uh, yeah that, that line like the first time I saw the movie where I was like when it just came out oh maybe it wasn't 23 it was like 25 or 27 or something but like the first time like the line didn't really register with me because I was like 19 or 20 when I saw it then I watched it again which is like oh that that hurts <laughs> 
At one point, Rod in 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 Rod. memorable lines, uh, Rod the the bad boy uh, says, "Up yours with a twirling lawnmower." I think was his yep. line, and uh, that was that that was that that was definitely the dead fuck of this this film yeah. for me. Uh, although thankfully they didn't repeat it several times, so it was much more of just a passing. Oh yeah, that's how was it like a on. welcome back Cotter thing where they they always use the insults with like that sort of uh, thing up your blank with a blank um, up your nose with a rubber hose. Yeah, yeah, uh, on on that show. But I don't, uh, although I don't know, I don't know how popular was that sort of like phrase in culture generally. I feel like I mean up yours is an easy one. But, up yours, but yeah, but up, up yours, yours with something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. that wasn't around like when I was when I was a kid. That 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 wasn't around. That wasn't a thing. Yeah, I would think more like stick an X up your ass would have been the slightly more common idiom as far as that goes. But uh, didn't hear a whole lot of that on the playground that I can yeah. recall. Uh, there was it, a lot of super weird turns of phrase in this movie. Yeah, it, it, it definitely has that feeling of you know, there's there's some idiosyncrasy to just the actual dialogue in weird little throwaway ways. Yeah, uh, like there was, uh, I think, like all the way at the end, and she's like, you know, your eyes look. What did she say? Something like rowdy or some word that I've never heard used to describe the state of eyes before. <laughs> um, and then she's just like, oh, I'm fine. I guess I just slept heavy. Also, I've never heard of that phrase before. Yep. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a phrase you mostly only use on the night of the paper hats is the thing. <laughs> you need to you know, choose your time and place for it. It's from Hats Night. Got uh, it. There, there, there's a scene in this at some point where uh, Tina maybe – I think I think it's Tina. She says, "Please God," and and Freddie holds up his hand, his his knife hand, to sort of vogue a little bit. And he says, "This is God," and I feel like Freddie needs to have a conversation with Pinhead about theology. <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe maybe cut something together there. You know, Pinhead can ask if he looks like he gives a damn what God thinks, and so on. Uh, there's the yeah yeah maybe a funeral, dickhead says Johnny Depp and then Rod <laughs> produces a switchblade and menaces him uh, <laughs> and then what's her name Tina no it wasn't Tina it's just Nancy just like calmly like removes like, the switchblade from his let's hand let's not like, stab anybody <laughs> um, Jungle Man fix Jane from their terrible yeah, a lot terrible of, a lot relationship of teen uh, sexualized teen stuff in this in a way that like after having watched It Follows now really creeps me out <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, I I don't know. Like I I don't watch that many teen horror movies, so I don't know how much like the just you know sort of sexualization of like teen stuff just for like a joke or lasciviousness. Well, I couldn't tell in this movie really. It wasn't it wasn't that bad. But then there it's, is a yeah, scene it, where it really seems more for... is like the the bathtub scene where it's shot from like she's in the bathtub and like the water is covering basically everything like from her either neck or like upper chest and then her legs are sticking out of the water and the camera is focused like if you were recording a birth this was the this would be the <laughs> angle you shoot from um and then I, I thought that was a bit excessive but it worked but it worked in a really weird way because then freddie's hand starts coming out of the water like right near her crotch but then you know um what is it i think her mom is like knocks on the door and then the hand quickly descends i thought that was actually pretty cool yeah, uh, yeah, no, like the, yeah. It was a very, yeah. I, I like it. It was a very reactive sort of yeah. menace. It's like Freddy's like, oh, oh shit, oh, shit, mom's coming. I gotta, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. Like it's a, a nice parallel to you know hiding the boy in your room in a sense, except for you know with uh, 
horrible violence and, and sexual menace as, as the undertone. Uh, but other than that, it was great. Yeah, no, it's, it, that, that is an interesting contrast between this film and It Follows. And I think to, it, to an extent between like sort of the er slasher horror era and some of what people have managed to do in the ensuing 30 years uh, with trying to take more intelligent takes on sort of like the emotional tone and content of, of these films. Cause yeah, like this is not, this is by far not the most like, you know, teen sexploitative horror movie made. Um, the fact that there's that big rowdy, you know, noisy sex with Tina and Rod is as much as anything played for laughs in this. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, we, we don't get I, a, I, I, I think that was just straight up supposed to be funny. Yeah. Especially when, like, uh, you know, uh, Johnny Depp just sort of, like, gets the, the line of it. Where it's, I mean, like, the whole scene, I think, it like, the camera is just panning across, like, a dark room. And you hear uh, Tina and Rod, like, having hilariously loud sex. It's just like, oh, Rod, yes. Oh, yeah. It's just like that. Um, And they're both just incredibly enthusiastic about it. And then, you know, it sort of, like, zooms to Johnny Depp, like, you know, with his eyes, like, wrenched open, unable to sleep. And what did he say? Morality sucks? I I think that was the line, yeah. Morality sucks. He's all being, you know... Not having sex with his girlfriend, and then he dies, you know, not having had sex with her. So obviously, that doesn't keep yeah. you safe either. Uh, to in the moral code of horror movies defense, though, it appears he did die having sex with a television. He just like had <laughs> it right there on his crotch. So maybe that yeah. Was a lot thing. of kids have weird pieces of maybe. technology in their room in the wrong place. He's got the TV on his bed. She's hiding a coffee maker. <laughs> <laughs> I love that she had the spare. <laughs> coffee maker hidden that was that was so fantastic like yeah she and like could depend on like oh my mom can't smell she won't be able to smell the fact that my room smells like coffee i just made well there was well there was also the other coffee maker so so i think reasonably speaking she could assume that her mom be like oh it smells like coffee in here because here's your coffee maker let's take this away and you get some sleep yeah and she's like, okay, well, you know, it's like if her mom yeah, came like back an hour later. Already on, yeah. already with the hot coffee in it. Seems if she really wanted to be yeah. subtle, though, she would, like, leave it under the bed. You know, <laughs> so if her mom came in and still smelled like coffee, she's like, oh, I guess you must have spilled some coffee. It sure smells like you shouldn't have been drinking so much coffee, Missy, rather than clearly you purchased a second coffee maker. There it is on your desk. You know, it's, <laughs> have you seen that second coffee maker? We have it disappeared. <laughs> I wanted to make two cups of coffee. I've had a lot of vanilla vodka. Um,. <laughs> That's like that's. Not, I wonder what that. I bet that wouldn't taste too bad. Like uh, coffee with milk and a little, and uh, you know, a bit of vanilla, vanilla vodka. Yeah. You, you need to put sugar in it because vanilla vodka is so damn sweet. Yeah, uh, that could work. Sort yeah. of a yeah. Uh, Johnny Depp's hair. Call it uh, the nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> <laughs> I, I J Depp's hair is very 1984. That was like, oh, yeah. it was the 1984st thing that first struck me in the film as being so 1984. I mean, uh, other people's hair certainly was too, but, but his... Yeah, it, it was parted in the middle and then, like, feathered upward, basically. Yeah, there's a lot of volume there. A lot of volume. He had some tall hair. Uh, the, the the crucifix that falls off the, uh, the wall? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like the crucifix falling off the wall and then they do the stretchy latex wall uh, scene. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I feel like... You know, those two are probably supposed to be related, but they, they do the crucifix thing, and then there's a break, and then they come back to the wall. So there's no real tying together of the crucifix falling off. So instead, it had I mean, me thinking about, okay, crucifix falls off the wall. Freddy is able to sort of 
phantomly nudge things in the real world if someone's dreaming nearby and he just like was petulant enough to like like poke that a little tiny bit to knock it off the wall is the implication or something like that maybe it's like a in ghost where you have to really really seriously like concentrate to uh to you know actually affect things in the real world and you know sometimes he can get it well and sometimes he can't yeah anyway i wrote down the phrase crucifix more like crucibroken uh, and I felt very good about myself at the time. You should feel bad about feeling good about yourself about that. <laughs> There's the the okay. So so here's an example of something in the film that I, I I both appreciated that they had the idea and did it because I enjoy watching people do goofy things in horror movies, and also found it utterly unconvincing and taking me out of any sense of supposed to be scared. Is the weird long arms when he's. Really? I thought that was scary as hell. I feel like if the effect had been like done really well, it wouldn't scare hell, but it looked like a Muppet to me. It looked like a Muppet like I, level I think of puppetry because of that, that was I, uh, The jankiness of it made it kind of scarier just because it, it it's, you know, in a dream... Like for some reason, knowing that this what's happening is in a dream made it made it scarier. Just the jankiness of that shot than it would have like if it would. If I knew it had been taking place in like the real world, it'd be like, well, that looks like a Muppet. But because it takes place in a dream, where even if it looks like a Muppet, it could still you know be real by the logic of the movie. Um, yeah, I, I, I like I like the big arms. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it, I, I guess it just really pulled it out for me. Um. Like it, it, it feels. I guess. I guess my issue is. I feel like you could convincingly sell the wrongness of an arm in terms of length or something, and in other ways, it would look less literally like someone was nearby. You know, taking a break from working on Kermit. I don't know. I, I, I I'm, I'm probably being sort of unfair here because it, it maybe just it, it didn't land for me visually or whatever. I found it distracting. But I feel like if you wanted to do the terrifying nature of an arm that is wrong, you could get that sort of body horror effect with uh, a less janky feel. Like even just like having an arm it, it cut from one shot to another, where we've established someone is impossibly far away, and then their arm is right there. You know, could almost work. I don't know. I I, I don't know. What I'm going for here, but I, that is how it left me, though. It definitely left me feeling like eh, this is that's cute that you came up with that idea, but I am I am I am laughing at it instead of being you know bothered. Uh, whereas when he popped out behind a tiny tree, I was laughing at it, but I didn't. I wasn't annoyed at the film at all. Yeah, I was I mean, like, that, that's that was, actually, that's just funny. That's great. Yeah, that, that was like a Looney Tunes moment. Yeah. It was meant to be a Looney Tunes moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was so, it was so, it was so right there. I don't know. Like, I wasn't scared, but I don't think I was supposed to be particularly scared. Uh, yeah, the part where he chops his fingers off all really came off as like a uncle doing like a, hey, where's my thumb go? <laughs> exactly. Thing. Uh, um, except, except you know, then the so fingers actually fall off. Is he made of green slime? Because repeatedly, I, like when he when he yeah later his yeah body. yeah later he 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 lifts off his shirt and scratches himself, and there's green goo and and uh, maggots. maggots. I think it's supposed to be like bile. Like I think it's supposed to be more of an idea of like this is what you find inside of a rotting body because I'm dead, but I'm not dead. Uh, more than more than I am composed of a special green substance. Uh, or anything like that. I think it was just more green for weird and gross and bile rather than uh, anything meaningfully chemical about the nature of his innards or something. I like how there's a there's a bit of fedora shaming in this movie. Uh, she's like, he, like he had a stupid hat and he had a weird hat, and then when you find out, like when she grabs his hat, it's it's just a fedora that got sort of kicked in. Yep. 
Um, there's this beautiful scene too with her later where she's like, where she confronts her mom in the kitchen, and, and like you say, it seems like it's more the boiling over frustration where she you know grabs a bottle of vodka and throws it on the floor and it shatters, and she's got Freddie's hat and her mom's all being in denial about this, and then she throws the hat petulantly at her mom from like a foot away. So it, and it's a hat, so it's like she throws it and just like bounces off her mom and falls down, and there's a little bit of I think maybe slightly too much foley on this to give you the sense of the physicality of it happening and the whole thing it's it's the dumbest like thing you can do to like you know make a point to someone and i that little scene i just i loved those two seconds so much i don't know why exactly uh just the time i guess the timing of everything uh also there like like tina or 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 maybe it's nancy tears what's up with tina's mother I don't know. She was going off to that, Vegas. Yeah, was that? I it it's, may or may not be implied that she's a prostitute somehow, because like the, between like the Vegas thing and like that guy who clearly uh, was not anybody who cared about either of those two people in any meaningful way. Like you know, when when she goes to check on her daughter and he's just like, hey, "What are you doing here? Let's go back to the sack." You know, I feel like that's <laughs> probably not Tina's dad. Um, or, I mean, it might be, in which case, you know, it's also kind of like, you know, just showing off like it, that neglecty it, angle. It could just it. be Tina's mom's new boyfriend, though. Like, like, yeah, yeah I, I could I could buy the idea that if Tina's mom was also part of the vigilante, like, if, if we really run with the idea, let's just assume that every parental, like, at least, at least clearly parent acting figure in the film of one of these kids is, in fact, somehow part of that crew. So, like, right. Nancy's Nancy's dad, he's a cop. He works too much. He's emotionally unavailable. Uh, They're divorced, right? Oh, are they? I, are her, I think aren't her mom and dad divorced? I don't know. Sort of, they might I be. I, tell. I, I, you know, to some extent, I, 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 I thought about these things while I was watching this, but they did not hold my attention. Partly because the film just wasn't that forthcoming with details. It didn't seem to want to be particularly about the parents, and so I think I just yeah. sort of didn't end up going as close with the watch as I could have there. Plus, as as mentioned before, we were both sort of falling asleep. Um, so that, that probably that probably damaged some of the details a little bit. But uh, but 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 Nancy's dad is a cop who works too much and is emotionally unavailable. Nancy's mom is we don't know what exactly she is, but she's certainly an alcoholic. Uh, I J Depp's uh, parents. You've got a mom who seems like concerned and motherly and probably the the nicest parent in the film yeah. as far as that goes and then ij depp's dad is sort of a impatient jerk but possibly that's just a reaction to you know mom being too accommodating or him he's very 50s kid. dad he's dressed like a 50s dad um reminded me of the dad from uh what do you call it the wonder years oh okay but but yeah like if they were involved in it too was she like just sort of like she made everybody coffee while they murdered Fred Krueger, and he, uh, you know, did did some of the heavy lifting. But he's like, let's just get this over with, you know. Yeah, maybe he wasn't super empathetic about the whole murdering twenty kids thing, but he was like, yeah, no, it's a problem. Yeah, let's let's fucking. I'm not going to hear the end of it if we don't go vigilante murder this guy. So let's go kill him, and then I'll get back to you know get back to my my actual business that I get paid for. Right. You know, um, Rod's parents. Do we ever see? I don't know. Uh, that we ever see Rod's parents. No, uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't think so. So let's assume that they both died in the process of killing Fred Krueger. Uh, <laughs> and that's why he's yes. the way he is, because he's been raising himself. Exactly. You know, he's doing the best he can. He's, he's uh, you know. 
try him. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, Tina's parents, uh, Tina's parents, J. Depp's right. So, so Tina's mom, you, you, you're saying maybe she's a Vegas prostitute. I think she's just, uh, uh, I think she's, I think I think she's it, a gambling less said, addict. The, the less, uh, the less that makes. Sense. Yeah, I, I think she's a gambling addict, and she just goes to Vegas all the time. I'll take it. Uh, and and yeah, she marriage fell apart as a result of the trauma of being involved in a vigilante murderer. She just you know dates other guys now. Uh, she 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 reminds herself she's alive by dating uh, you know Randy fellows who 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 want to have a constant physicality in their life. Um. So yeah, I think that's what's going on with the parents. They they were all damaged by the the process of being a vigilante murderer, and the only one who really c- coped with it well was Jay Depp's parents, uh, who now presumably will be fucking messes because their their kid is a puddle uh, yeah. in the upstairs bedroom. But you know, I'm not sure. Did anybody survive this movie? I mean, I, guess- I don't know. That's the thing. Uh, it depends on the real world repercussions of that last scene. Yeah, because what we've got is the, the film finishes up with Nancy and her cop dad in their you know parental bedroom in the house that had been on fire or there was fire in the house anyway because Freddy Krueger was on fire and they find burning Freddy Krueger on top of the mom and then what the fuck happened to Freddy? Then, like they threw a, well, they threw a they sheet th- on him? They threw the sheet on him, then to- they took the... And then she's just like, no, stop, he's under there, because I guess her dad didn't see Freddy Krueger. Because, I mean, he was clearly on top of there. It wasn't just his wife, and it was him that was on fire. Yeah. Um, and when they pull it off, like, uh, the... It's just her... The, her mom's, like, desiccated slash yeah. burnt corpse. Yeah, smoking corpse floating there. And then the, yeah. the, the bed starts glowing blue and foggy and her corpse descends into it and then it just sort of fades to the bed being just a normal bed that's clean, clean cleanly made um, again yeah how much of that her dad to leave and then freddie comes back again and then she turns her back to him and and disbelieves in him and this apparently makes him disappear um and just as he's attacking her, because that's how they which do it is in Bali. Nonsensical fucking ending. Um, yeah. And this, the worst part is like they they telegraph this shitty ending from like uh, well, that, yeah. that yeah, other conversation what, yeah, about what, the Balinese dreamers. Yeah, exactly. Like, do you know how the Balinese dream? It's like no, I don't. It's like what, why would you ask him? Why would you phrase it? Well, like and that? maybe maybe this is where the whole thing came from. Maybe Wes Craven was reading about Balinese, you know. Dream voyagers, and and that's the entire genesis of Nightmare on Elm Street. Is like, yeah, but what if what if it was in America and a questionable horror film? You know, that could have been that could have been the whole deal. We got to watch that four hour documentary and find out. Um, By the way, that four hour documentary sponsored this episode. <laughs> yeah. We should we should get them to sponsor this episode. That'd be pretty sweet. I, I bet they'd be all for it. I was like, yeah, yeah. we'll we'll use all this filthy documentary lucre. Uh, Lucra, Luker, Luker. I guess I think it's Luker. Um, hi, my name is Luker. I live on the second floor. Um, so yes, uh, she uh, she dispenses with Freddy, and it's the end of the film. And then it's a bright morning, and she's going out to school with her friends, or just out with her friends, and she's suddenly dressed... Like, she literally walks out the door of the house from this traumatic, terrible thing that just happened into bright, shiny, gauzy, dreamy morning. Gets in the car with her friends. Her mom, who is not dead, stands there in her bathrobe with a cup of coffee instead of vodka. Uh, 
And so she's going to quit drinking. Yep. And, and, and everything's magical and wonderful and doesn't make any fucking sense. I mean, obviously, this is, this is not intended to feel naturalistic. This is supposed to be a weird, jarring cut. Uh, and, and the fact that the mom shows up seems to be very cleanly telegraphing that they don't even want you to wonder if it's uh, supposed to be an edit to a week later when everybody's a little bit more balanced. A little more alive. And her friends, yeah, her friends are alive. They're in the car. She gets in the car. Mom's there. Mom's alive. The car turns out to be Freddy with, you know, his sweater stripes on the canopy that comes down. And, oh, no, it drives off, and they're all screaming and afraid. And then Freddy pulls Mom physically through the peephole of the door in uh, possibly the most hilarious way they could have ended the, the film effects-wise. Uh, and then boom, we get that, uh, terrible song. Um, and yeah, it's like, obviously, like, obviously this is not something that comports with reality because we know basically everybody in the scene is dead. Uh, no one in the scene seems to know that there's a problem with this, which works fine if we say it's a dream, but if it's a dream, then Freddie's not really dead and he's going after Nancy and maybe he kills her or maybe he doesn't. We don't know. Let's watch the next several films and find out. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like it, it's it's sort of an unsatisfying nothing fake out of an end for the film because like what what can we draw from this? What can we establish? What are yeah, we... the movie didn't end yeah in any in any in any semblance of the way that like a movie would end. This did not end yeah. Um, so I don't know if they they were intentionally setting it up for a sequel. I mean, probably I, the, the franchises were. When did Halloween... So Halloween 3 was the first real Halloween sequel. Well, no. Was it 2 or 3? Because one of them is Season of the Witch, which is a totally different movie. Um, yeah, Halloween 2 is... Uh, let's see. I had the impression Season of the Witch was later on, but... I yeah, oh, yeah, no, no, yeah. So Halloween 2 is the direct sequel, and Halloween 3 is Season of the Witch. Um... Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, yeah. Okay, so, um, yeah, I mean, Halloween 2 was out by this point. Friday the 13th, Part 2. At least 2 was, must have been out. Possibly 3. Part 2 is... 2 is, 90, two is 81. 81. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, so, yeah the, like the whole the, franchise thing, like, yeah, people yeah. knew going in to this to some extent. I'm sure like it occurred to Wes Craven or more to the point it occurred to whoever funded the thing that, okay, well, if this does well, we can really uh, turn it into a, a franchise. Yeah. And so having an opening that opens, you know, leaves that open obviously makes sense. But even like, I could understand going with this sort of ending, even if you just wanted to leave it as a, Hey, you know, uh, it turns out maybe dispensing with uh, immortal dream villains is not so easy after all, but it still feels like it, it's sort of a goofy, uh Oh, here we go again feeling rather than a sort of definitive statement of any sort of sort about the nature of Freddie's continued existence or, or, or whatever the thing is that's going on. Yeah, I, I think I would have liked it if like when the car like locked up and like all the horrible stuff started happening, if instead of like screaming for help, like as the other kids screamed for help, if Nancy just like sort of sat back like with with resign with resignation, be like, oh, not the fuck again. Yeah. Well, and like even yeah, an acknowledgement on her part yeah. that she was aware that this appeared to be a continuation of something, rather than her base. Like like that scene could have happened anywhere in the film and and read reasonably as the kids. 
kids freaking out over this confusing, terrifying thing happening. Yeah, like, if it ended with, like, instead of them, like, instead of, like, the Freddy car driving them off into the sunset, like, if it was just, like, all four of them just, like, woke up at once, and, like, you know, maybe at different houses, maybe in the same room, and we're just like, oh, it was just a dream. And then, or was it? That would have been a bit better than just cutting it off during the dream. Yeah. And and I I think they used basically the same ending for uh, Elm Street 2. Uh, except it's a school bus this time, and but but otherwise it felt. I mean, I mean I'd be genuinely surprised if they didn't use the ending for all of them. Uh, well, I mean, you know, three, well. three again. I think they did. They did differently. They really had it be sort of like more of an epic fight with a coordinated effort, and then the tell that maybe Freddy was still around was uh, it really was. I think a light turning on in a little model of the Elm Street house, uh, which I don't even remember what exactly they established in into as far as why it's Freddy's house, whether it was the house that the original movie happened in, or it was, turns out that Freddy actually grew up on Elm street as well. And this is the old house that he lived in or, or something. I don't know. I'm actually kind of interested. I might, I might revisit some of the other films just to remind myself of where they went with this, uh, canonically for sort of his backstory and, and the backstory of Elm street. Um, but yeah, it's uh, they, they, they did at least mix it up a little bit. But uh, the se- the second film, as I recall, ended really, really similarly with literally kids trapped inside of a vehicle that it turns out Freddy's in control of. Uh, and then, the like, school bus ended up like striped green. And I, I don't remember if the school bus actually ends up looking Freddy sweaterish or not, but maybe he turns out to be the driver. Uh, but I do remember the school bus like definitely driving not on the road. And it's like, whoa, this school bus is out of control, buddy. And that being more or less the end of the film. Uh, I'm probably, you know, it's going to turn out that I'm horribly misremembering this, too, because it's been, you know, whatever, 15, 20 years. That, but, that's uh, actually how Halloween 4 ended. <laughs> damn it. As the damn it. bus driver. Uh, little things I liked. Uh, I've got a bunch of notes on, like I said, you know, I, I wrote down like little notes on stuff. Uh, one note, th- th- whoever the medic was who was in charge of zipping Tina up in the actual body bra- bag on the television really dropped the ball. You know, they had one job and then her bloody arm falls out of the body bag anyway, as they loaded into the stretcher, uh, into like an ambulance or whatever. Um, uh, it's a very is, graphic news yeah. footage of the, the bloody scene, a lot of detail, throwing names around, uh, that local news did not fuck around when they got well, something good bloody. Was that like the, the, the Simpsons episode? That's a parody of, uh, the, the, the Treehouse of Horror segment. I mean, it's a parody of, Nightmare on Elm Street when I think it's either it's Martin that dies like in the middle of class after falling asleep in class that sounds right um, and uh, he, he has that dream where he, he conjugates Latin, Latin uh, verbs <laughs> and then groundskeeper Willie kills him um, you know there, there's they, they sort of like put a sheet on him and then uh, Principal Skinner says to like I guess the medics or whoever's taken him out so it's like you know just you know we're, we, we're trying not to scare the children so please do this quietly <laughs> and like the sh- sheet like slowly comes off him and he's like you know he's got like this like rictus of horror on him like uh, that he's frozen in, in like his death yeah. thing so I, th- I that that I think that was that <laughs> may, may have been playing on that yeah. uh, I liked the during uh, Nancy's dream in the school the Nancy's body bag is lying on the ground after a big trail of blood leading down the hall and then it's laying there and then the legs on it just invisibly come off and, and yeah. drag along I thought that was nice that, that was, was that was a nice I, little scene I like that. I like when things go from one like disappear down like an opening in a in a hallway. I, I like when they do that. They did a really good scene like that in 
I want to say in either one of the Exorcist or Poltergeist movies, whichever one takes place in like a sanitarium. Uh, Exorcist uh, like, 3 is in a sanitarium or nursing home or something like that. Yeah, and I think I talked about the scene before where it's like this very, like, it's a it's a long take of a, uh, just like a sort of hallway. going back and forth in a hallway, and then suddenly yeah. the the person comes out with a giant scissors. Yeah, it's like a figure, like, draped in white with, like, giant figures just shoots across the frame real quick, and there's this, you know, there's a zoom in a musical swell, and it's just really, really well done. Yeah. Um, so yes. It reminded me of that a little bit. Using framing and expectation on uh, lateral movement on camera with corridors and shit. It's good stuff. That's good stuff right there. Uh, I liked Freddy Krueger as the uh, nagging hall monitor. Yeah, like I, it's this film gets a lot of use out of a striped sweater. I gotta say that, like you know, there, there's something, there's something sort of great, and I, I feel like they could have maybe even gone farther with it, and I think they probably come back to this in other films, but, but just the the visual use of like put the villain in a shitty sweater and then use that as a visual motif uh, throughout the film, shockingly effective. Like as goofy as the car canopy coming up at the end of the movie is in that dreamy scene yeah. that we're criticizing. It's still a really effective way to say, boom, you immediately know this is some fucked up Freddy Krueger stuff right here because of stripes, because of horizontal stripes. Uh, maybe this film was made by the vertical stripe commission. They're trying to, you know, do a little dance. Is that like the, 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 the Tesla Edison AC versus DC fight? We've exactly. got like the yeah, vertical versus horizontal, horizontal stripe yeah. commission and the vertical stripe union. Yep. The, the hall monitor had a very slightly Kristen Wiggish thing going on in some, like, I think when she got to the turnaround and, and she's obviously actually Freddie sort of thing, there was just something weird about the impish smiling expression on her face that, uh, if Saturday Night Live for some reason had decided to do a scene-for-scene scene remake of Friday the 13th as a series of sketches, uh, that should have been Kristen Wiig, is my take on that. Uh, there's Freddy with a tongue-wagging. Like, like it, yeah, a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, there's like the time when they're in the basement and he like wags his tongue and there's like this synthesizer. Uh, like, wait, was that an apregio or... Arpeggio? Like, Arpeggio? Biddly, biddly, biddly. Sort of. Yeah, yeah, that that's what it was when he was waggling his tongue, like on in the soundtrack, you know, non diegetically was I, I I took me out of it a bit, but I also very much appreciated it. Yeah. Well um, yeah, there's that and then later the phone Nancy's phone turns into Freddie's uh, yeah, mouth. Freddie's I'm your boyfriend now, now Nancy. Blah, blah. Yeah, uh, and then there's uh, like, like the bottom part of the phone, the part that you talk into. Like maybe a quarter way up the phone has been like transformed into like, you know, it's like almost Cronenberg-y, like sort of like flesh phone thing. Yeah, yeah. And from like the, the, the end of it, like is a, it comes out like a very fake looking tongue that tries to lick, lick her. Yeah, um, and that, the tongue thing remains a theme throughout the films too. At one point uh, in three, uh, Freddy poses as a sexy nurse uh, and sort of seduces uh, one of the kids in that film uh, and then and then they're so they're French kissing and then he sort of the kid tries to pull away and can't because they're connected at the tongue and uh, it's it's a big long single tongue and oh no and then uh, Freddie nurse like ties the kid to the bed by uh, tongue segments uh, you know at wrists and, and, and ankles uh, so that at least is a major return of the tongue theme and I feel like it came up a couple other times in some of the films too um, so I guess uh, Freddy's just he, he's all about that tongue 
Uh, this is okay. You know, actually, so so that's sort of like obviously a, 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 a intended to be a sexualized aspect of his menacing, uh, yeah, where it comes kinda. up in both of these. But it's yeah, it is. It, it's a weird one. Uh, one of the things about the film is the synopsis on uh, like Amazon. I think I rented this from Amazon. Uh, the synopsis, you know, says you know blah blah blah. You know, pedophile Fred Krueger. Yeah, they never. Yeah, the film never, never goes substantiated. There. Uh, they, they, I mean, they mentioned him as a child murderer. Yeah, a filthy child murderer is the most definitive statement we have on exactly. Uh, yeah, and that 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 filthy isn't you know one way or another, and like he's mildly like sort of got like you know like a creepy sexual thing going with like you know the I'm your boyfriend now, but whenever he actually gets one of the kids, like he is just trying to murder them with his claw. Yeah, he, he's never seen trying to like you know assault anybody sexually or like anything like that. Like he's enjoying like scaring them and creeping them out and like making them afraid, but when he actually like you know. When push comes to shove, and they're in melee, uh, he's just trying to kill them. Yeah, and it's so I, I'm really kind of curious whether that is something that the film thought was sufficiently implied, or if that's something the film wasn't really terribly worried about. Uh, because it, it, if that is sort of like the retroactive, you know, popular conception of him is like, oh, well, you know, he was a child molester, but then the right. film doesn't really, you know go into any of that it's, it's interesting how that's and i wonder if that's something that just did get substantiated later on or to some extent was was this movie released at the height of a sort of uh pedophilia concern thing like is, so on wikipedia it's just you know it just references him as a child killer but apparently in the 2010 remake he is a child molester interesting um I wonder if I wonder if that is something that's coming back retroactively, or if it really is something from from elsewhere in the franchise. Well, and I think you know part Apparently of the backstory Robot we Chicken get made that made the confusion as to whether he was a child molester or not the the center of a sketch. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, Craven's original script characterized Freddy as a child molester, which Craven said was the worst thing you could think of. The decision wasn't set to make him into a child murderer in order to avoid being confused of exploiting the spate of highly publicized child molestation cases in California around the time Nightmare on Elm Street went into production. Ah, interesting. So, so something got muddled along the way there. Okay, fair enough. Uh, well, I, I was going to say, I, I feel like one of the movies eventually sort of gives some more backstory on him that sort of suggests he was also maybe the child of abuse, and maybe that was sort of like part of the weird cycle of violence that led to everything okay. But I don't remember what film it was and what the specific context was. I, I think I remember being really excited by the idea of getting proper backstory on him, and then maybe being disappointed once I ever, once I eventually saw whatever it was. Because um, whenever that was, I, I think the idea of actually getting a contextualized take on the nature of a villain was like a novel enough idea to me. Whatever age I was, I was like, oh yeah, that'd be really cool. And then maybe it didn't happen so much. Um. So, I was thinking about the dream stuff sort of happens in reality, too. The question is, can reality stuff sort of happen in dreams? Like, is it a two-way street? Like, if if someone definitively knew where Freddy was standing in the dream world relative to someone who is sleeping in the real world, could they shoot where Freddy is and potentially hit him with a bullet? Or is it strictly a one-way street where he can influence reality indirectly, but, but not vice versa? I think he 
can re- it, I, I think he can mess with things in reality because you could make an argument that like you know all of like the thrashing and being thrown around is happening under the you know psychic or you know power or like mind over matter ability of the person that he's messing with so it was you know like Tina like you know Tina's brain inflicted those wounds on her by thinking them real hard and like her body flung itself around because she was like that convinced it was happening so I I think but then Tina but she was that convinced that she was on the ceiling that she went to the ceiling though see that's where it gets like at that point clearly there's some there's some direct intervention on the physical world by Freddy like I think I think it has to be more that like the person's REM state and apparently it's only REM where it matters uh the person's REM state provides some sort of conduit for his physically manifesting things in the real world rather than just the oh if your brain is really convinced that you're in you know experiencing trauma you'll experience trauma which is always kind of a, a bullshitty thing when you take it to the sort of like you know acute violent acts rather than the idea that yes if you would suffer appropriate anxiety you know you can do you know central nervous system damage to your body somehow or whatever um do, do do you agree with that? Like that's the, the, this, this is um, this is where I'm sort of colliding between yeah. stuff that seems like it's reasonable and stuff that feels like it's just silly woo to me that just makes a good scene. Like I don't believe that you can believe yourself into having a burn on your arm. Um, I believe it's possible to have psychosomatic symptoms manifest. I think it's possible for there to be some relationship between your mental state and what your body's various systems are doing that could manifest in, you know, problematic symptoms for you. But that's not, oh, I have a burn mark on my arm now because my Or like arms, slashes across my stomach. Yeah, or, or floating uh, through the air, obviously. But, you know, right. no one's no one's ever going to say, well, few people are going to say that you can be murdered with slashes on your ceiling just because you believe enough. But but yeah, I mean the the milder stuff there, the idea that you can manifest some physical symptoms, I feel like is taken a little bit more as plausible than is really actually justified once you think about it. Um, anyway, I'm now I'm just lecturing people <laughs> on stuff they might believe in that I disapprove of. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, like that, the I, ability to spontaneously generate wounds on yourself by thinking yeah, too hard. Yeah, but uh, but anyway, I, I think that that. Again, this sort of comes back to the thing that the, the film doesn't do a clear job of establishing its mechanics, right. which is not something I really expect horror films to do or anything. But I, mean, I always think yeah, it's like interesting. A movie from around this time, like with this subject matter, it's it's definitely like a a, a surface, not a surface effort, but it's 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 not an effort that that that. Um, Rewards digging deeply. Yeah, into I, it. Their, their goal was not to establish a rock solid uh, metaphysics. Their yeah, goal was to not do big. some cool stuff. So, yeah, uh, I liked the fast acting. Stay awake. S T A awake. Yeah, that was was those supposed to be what like caffeine pills or yeah, you know, I think it was like straight up like amphetamine. Uh, one or and, the like, other. A bunch of this movie is just amphetamine psychosis. Well, I, 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 <laughs> I kind of like that idea. I interpreted them as just a. Uh, as just caffeine, like just Vivarin or whatever. Well, I mean, as we know from the uh, the documentary um, Saved by the Bell, that uh, caffeine pills can cause some, you know, severely, yes. you a, know... Wild those, emotional springs. You can be yeah. excited, and then you can be scared. So excited. Yeah. And then so scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I, I like the, the amphetamine psychosis idea is, is a good one, too. Um, 
I think it'd be really interesting to go through and like carefully identify the edit points for dreams in this film because they did a variety of things, yeah. including the you see someone look like they're drifting off and then they don't quite drift off because their eyes pop back open. But hey, they actually did drift off and their eyes popping back open is because of the dream. But there's also at least at one point they just do a straight up fade out where I, I think uh, Nancy was telling Glenn, "Hey, was oh, that when she enters the dream like on purpose? Yeah, like, she's after like resolutely yeah. glaring down Glenn's pet dad outside." <laughs> yeah, well, she's she, she, she. This is when she's got Glenn over there. Uh, I think this is earlier than that. Maybe she's got Glenn over, and she's oh, like, "Glenn, I really need you to do." Asshole. Yeah, I really need you to do this one thing for me. And she's vague about. It. And this is where it's kind of weird to me because I feel like the film is very clearly setting up this scene where she's going to intentionally fall asleep so that she can uh, wake up. And then I, I, I feel like it's really coy in that scene about not just straight up saying, hey, Glenn, I'm going to fall asleep and I need you to watch me to wake me up if something happens. It's all this sort of indirect, I need you to be a kind of guard. I, I need to go look for someone. But then the film does just a straight up fade out and then she's wandering around outside. And I don't think we're supposed to credibly think, oh, I bet she's awake and wandering around her neighborhood now. I think we're right. supposed to be like, yeah, it's a dream. So why do that weird coy shit with the I need you to be like a kind of guard thing? It, it felt like a weird sort of pointless. Maybe it was supposed to be like, you know, sort of like teen dialogue, like WBE teen dialogue melodramatic kind of thing? I don't know. I mean, whatever it was, the, it didn't do it the, well. Yeah, the teens are very blurdy in this film, so I think I think it would have made sense for that to be just a straightforward, hey, I need you to help me out with this, and I'm going to say what it literally yeah. is. But anyway, they move. They, they do that fade out, and I, I kind of like that they did the fade out, because they just sort of said, okay, now let's just straight up fucking fade. You know, we don't even need to do a Star eyes closing, wipe. popping back open thing. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't quite a wipe, but you know. Uh, and, and she's like, Glenn, are you still watching? And he pops out of a Bush says, yeah, so, and I, it's weird. Cause like I simultaneously want to like shout at the screen because like you fucking idiots, obviously if he's responding to you in your dream, he's not awake or that's not him. Cause you're asleep and you know, you're in a goddamn dream. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but it's dream logic. And it's, yeah, yeah it's, that's the thing that, that part was just like, you know, when you, Whenever they they go to sleep, there's no guarantee that they're waking up in the dream in the same exact state of mind and with, like, the same exact context for, you know, being in the world. So I think that that kind of made sense to me where she's just like, are you awake? And, you know, it could be that, you know, she's sort of like, like, what would happen in the real world was that she stirred a little bit and just sort of like, you're awake, and just sort of mumbled it. And he was like, yeah, I'm up. And then it transferred into her dream as him, like, actually being there. Yeah, but we don't actually... we don't actually get yeah. that is the thing. And it'd be interesting to see if the film had tried to do a more solid job of yeah. conveying something. And I, I mean, I don't think at any point it makes it clear that two people can have the same dream at the same time. Well, yeah, and that's like, something Freddy that... Freddy can be in their dreams, but, like, in this movie, because yeah. I think in the later movies... Yeah, they definitively establish yeah. that later on. Like, group dreaming is very much a thing. But, yeah, yeah. they don't really broach that one or the other in this one, I don't think. Uh, so Glenn showing up, who knows? Like it's it's yeah. kind of that whole thing is a cipher to the point where they probably could have just skipped it. You know, is yeah. I guess what it comes down to is like I don't understand exactly why they have him step out of the bush and respond like that, and then not have anybody respond in any way to the whole thing. Because what they really want to get at is that Glenn step falls out asleep. Behind anything in a while, and uh, <laughs> you know they got that yeah. quota. It's like let's do that thing 80s. with Freddie again, but with IJ Depp, and also we don't have any budget for an effect, so he'll actually just be behind a bush. 
We'll just it'll be a big enough bush. <laughs> it'll be, be a big it. enough tree to conceal him. Yeah, and then, uh, and then we'll then go back to him and we'll show him going back behind it again. Yeah, let's really establish where his character is in this scene that he's not really a part of. Uh, there's a Freddy nice. He can teleport. Apparently, he teleports repeatedly. Oh, I, I think so. Yeah, like he and like, and maybe it's one of those like rules where he can only teleport if he teleports to a location that is subjectively scarier for the person he's chasing. <laughs> I think. Okay, so here's here's really here's the problem, and, and we sort of we were talking about this earlier, but like just to get down to it, Freddy has what seems to be arbitrary dream powers. Like he. Right. And, and I think this actually works well with the idea of him as being sort of like a giggly, non-serious dude, is this is a guy who had some sort of terrible life and was a terrible murderer and then was killed horribly. And normally that would be the end of the story, but somehow he has managed to re-manifest himself as a creature of dreams who has apparently arbitrary powers and can basically fuck with people and then murder them. And right. if if you accept sort of the villainous aspect of his nature or even just, you know, him being so fucked up and then having this newfound afterlife, him being sort of goofy and giggly about it, I can buy that. Sure. He's realized, okay, my life was a weird fucking shitty thing and now I am a, you know, powerful ghost monster who can fuck with dreams. Okay, this is my new gig. This is really something. And so he's just running with it. He's not worried about being hurt or being killed. He mutilates himself and then repairs himself at the blink of an eye. At that point, teleporting seems pretty trivial too. You know, he can stretch his arms out. He can turn his turn phones into his mouth. You know, there's really no presentation of a limitation on his ability to do what he wants in a dream. And the problems of that making him sort of hard to take seriously as a, a, a you know, beatable menace are, you know, sort of what we were talking about earlier. But just in general, like, there's no thing that he does in this film that would surprise me. It's like, oh, my God, how did he do that? Like, it's literally he's got direct access to the script. You know, so at that point, it, it creates a very specific sort of style of of character. He has a very specific sort of role in the film that does not respond well to some of the dramatic inputs that would otherwise come into a story. Right. You know, even even more so than I would say like, you know, your Jason Voorhees character where, you know, the problem is that the monster is incredibly strong and incredibly durable, but it's still presented more or less as a corporeal monster that questionable editing and writing aside can't just teleport around, can't just right, magically, right. you know, move from place to place while you're staring right at him. Uh, Freddy like can do Pinhead anything can kind of Yeah, and Pinhead can kind of teleport, but it requires going to, like, his realm, basically, like his, 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 like, Self has to you know exude over the the local environment before he can control it. Yeah, but like yeah, Freddy. Like anytime they're in a dream, Freddy can do basically whatever he wants. And you know, most of like the chase in this movie, like his attitude during the chasing is like, "Ooh, I'm gonna get you," because yeah. he is enjoying it. Like yeah, th- yeah. Um, there's no there's no stakes. There's no risk here. Yeah. He knows he can basically. He's decided to menace and then murder these kids, and he's just going to do it. He's going to—that's what he's doing this week. He's like, you know, it's it's time to systematically terrify and murder the offspring of my killers. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'll do that. And I think it's just Nancy figures out that she can drag things back from the dream. Maybe, kind of, because yeah. I mean, she gets the yeah. It's like because how- I mean, maybe she found that hat, you know, among the other crap that her mother kept from that the corpse of the guy they murdered. <laughs> Yeah, maybe she took that with her to the sleep study and was like, oh my god, but there's a hat, huh? Again with the amphetamines. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's Fre- Freddy Krueger is a difficult problem there. It's it's hard to it's hard to figure out how to take seriously attempts to defeat a you know arbitrarily powerful villain who never actually dies. You know, and it's 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 trickier still than Jason in some ways because Jason at least is a big physical lug. Whereas right. Freddy, just like any time Freddy fails to immediately dispense with a problem, it's kind of like, well, but why didn't you just fucking... Like, it all comes down to, I guess, hubris. Like, he's too sure of his mystical dream powers to really definitively deal with threats existentially to his, you know, newfound status as a immortal dream terror. I don't know. It's it, it's hard to know it's hard to know how to process his character. I'm curious. I'm curious to see to what extent this gets meditated on uh, in New Nightmare because I really don't remember in how much detail we really explore the relationship between uh, Nancy and Freddy and the idea of Craven's dream world and and sort of monster philosophy. Um, but on a totally unrelated note, I love those marshmallow stairs. Yeah, that, that, was a, that, that was a pretty cool and like creepy effect. Do you think those were like the exact same holes that they used to then later set on fire for like Freddy's fire footsteps? <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I mean, if they've already prepped holes in the stairs, I part partly I love that effect because that must have been just as fucking gross to do <laughs> as it looked. Like yeah. you know, Heather Langenkamp actually had to keep sticking one foot after another into big pits of marshmallows, and then. You know, it was some sort of like soft resiny goo. Yeah, it, was you think it was actually marshmallow? Oh, I, 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 I don't know if it was actually marshmallow or not, but like very much like a sort of melted marshmallowy, fluffernutter, fluffernutter, whatever sort of texture. Uh, just had to be that. I, I, how many times do you think they had to shoot, shoot that thing? How many times do you think they uh, had to reset it up? Uh, how much of that goo did they have to go through in the process of getting the whole thing working? And, you know, they had to figure the effect out first, too. So somebody's, it was somebody's job to spend, you know... A lot of time in goop. Yeah, like a week figuring out how to nail this goopy stair thing, uh, which is just kind of great to think about. Uh, Freddie jumps... There's a scene when Nancy visits Rod in jail, and his knuckles are bloody, and it's never explained why. Was his... Did he, had he just never washed off his knuckles since the night with Tina? And no one else was like, hey, wash your hands? And I mean, I guess it's sort of implied that he's been on the run since that because he's got no shirt or... Yeah, uh, or shoes. Or shoes. And Certainly it's been no like a solid. Was it? Was that just when he gets caught? Is that just later, like that morning of that night? Yeah, I think that. I think it's just the next day. The time in this is a little unclear. Like, a, I, I think a couple of... Murders happen in the same, like, you know, two days. Um, and I think her mom, in fact, says something like, you know, it's been a, a hell of a couple days or something <laughs> like that. Um, so I, I like that she goes to the second funeral then on the second right. day. She's like, yeah, no, I should definitely fulfill this social obligation. I should put on a dress and go to a funeral again instead of like you know what I would just stay the fuck home and be fucked up and I think leave it at that and people would understand and the priest was such a dick oh yes I loved that he's like he who lives by the sword dies by the sword but let us also remember blah 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 and I okay what is the sword in this case because obviously uh, it's that switchblade yeah, he, he, he lived had by a, he, the switchblade, and he died in nothing relating to switchblade. Exactly, reasons. you know, it's like so. It can't, it can't be the switchblade because that just makes sense. Maybe the dick. May, oh, so so this was Angela's suggestion. I think was that you know the priest thinks it was autoerotic asphyxiation gone bad. 
Rod wasn't trying to kill himself in jail. He was just jerking it. So like, you know, he lives by the sword where the sword is thinking with his dick. And then he dies by the sword where the sword is still thinking with his dick. I buy it. Uh, so that could be, I, I also like the idea that the sword in this case is just literally sheets, uh, which is sort of related, but like the, he killed his girlfriend in the bed where there were sheets and then he died with sheets. So the sword is, is sheets, I guess is, is that, that read. Also, he strangled real quick. Did you notice yeah. that? Like he was yeah. still like struggling when they burst in and then like you get him down five seconds later and he's like dead and going pale. Well, maybe I mean, like part of that is just like the scare death. And yeah. Part of it is the, the, the physical thing. Because um, I mean, it didn't look like it. It like that would have been what, what he would have died of would be asphyxiating, not like having his neck broken, which is I think generally what you die of when they hang you, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, your neck breaks and that's supposed to kill you. And then sometimes you asphyxiate to death. But yeah, in this case, um, I think it was just asphyxiation. Yeah. There was a sign in the jail that said "Not an exit." And we were sort of wondering uh, whether that was like maybe he comes back in another movie. Maybe death is not an exit. It's a reference to American Psycho. Yeah, that's probably it. Uh, <laughs> Wait, which was written? Oh, I guess yeah. That contemporary th- that could very well. Yeah, um, American Psycho was. This was eighty four. American Psycho is what like ninety? Was it written in nineteen ninety? I don't think it was written in the eighties. Ninety. It was published in ninety one. Okay. So. Roughly, uh, let's assume. Of, let's assume that American Psycho was inspired specifically by uh, Brett Easton Ellis watching this film and saying that scene, that scene. I'm all about it. And yeah, then he extrapolated from there. Also, the dress that had uh, Nancy wears to the, uh, I guess Rod's funeral, uh, bright blue with white polka dots. Is that really like? I, I don't know funeral etiquette, but I was kind of under the impression that like you don't wear bright summery colors to a funeral because everybody's supposed to be like, oh, death and whatnot. So maybe that was her sort of protesting the fact that she was being compelled to go to a funeral for an asshole who she doesn't think actually killed her friend because she knows what's actually going on, but nonetheless, weird social obligation manifesting itself. I don't know. I just thought that was odd. Also at the Sleep Institute? There's a, yeah. there's a, there's a. That was one of like the more rational moments in this movie. It's just like I, it's like Nancy, like you need some help, and we're gonna get you some help. And you think they're gonna go to like a priest or, 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 or you know, something? But no, she takes her like to the right to the fucking sleep study center. Yeah. Let's study um, your sleeping since you're not sleeping yeah. and you're having bad dreams. Makes a crazy kind of sense. Yeah. And I like, I like how without discussing anything that made any sort of concrete expositional sense about the science of sleep measurement, they managed to get very scientific about it by saying, oh, well, the number, yeah, it's like uh, three is real normal, yeah, and once we get to REM, it'll probably be, uh, you know, it's really 6.5 is, you know, about where, and then it's like 10, 15, 30, it never goes as high, it can't go this high, and, and so we got some science there without having any idea what those numbers were actually yeah. supposed to be. Uh, but I was going to say the guy, it, there's a poster on his wall in the Sleep Institute guy's office. There's a cat in a, like a red jacket and a pair of jeans hanging off the side of a, a, a fucking like streetcar trolley. And I have no idea what's going on there. But uh, that was definitely a poster on his wall. So 
So there we go. Maybe that was a poster you could buy in 1984. Maybe it was a custom job. Well, they, they probably it. sold it at the same store as like the Hang In There Baby one. Maybe. Well, it, it didn't look like a cute kitty. It looked like a person who happened to be a cat with a giant cat head and, and cat hands hanging out in like San Francisco. Like I don't understand what was going on at all. Maybe it was from the uh, an extended universe thing from the uh, the, the Joe Camel multiverse. <laughs> That's probably what it is. <laughs> also, the hair turning gray from fright. Yeah, that was real. I, that was I. I I thought that was like a a, a subtle throw in and done very very poorly. Yeah, I, I, I it's I, I I just hate that trope because it's dumb because that's not how hair works. It's I just, like it. I I like the gray hair from fright thing. Um, I, they did it real well on uh, I think uh, what do you call it? Uh, Twin Peaks. Um, there was something else. Some other show. I remember, where, like, some kid ends up getting like, basically, like a white mohawk striped into his hair from fear. Yeah, I, um, I, I get it. I get it visually. I just, it, it, it's for some reason, it's one of those things where I can't be like, oh well, because I'm like, no, but it's not. Your hair doesn't. Your your, your head's not piping color into your hair in real time. Well, maybe your hair isn't. Your hair's already dead by the time it grows out of your head. Like it's it's the color it's gonna be. That's what color it was when it was made. You know, it doesn't. You gotta go to a fucking stylist if you want to update your look. You can't just get ah. It's it's a ridiculous thing for me to care about, but I do care. <laughs> I care somehow. Uh, I liked I liked uh, I J Depp's uh, football half shirt. Oh, the uh, the belly shirt. Yeah, yeah, that's one of those uh, Steve Gutenberg Police Academy ones. <laughs> It was a, um, it's a good look. That's why he yeah, died. I, that that needs to come back. I think. Yeah, that, that, I I I could use. I you know I I wear tank tops a lot during the summer and they're all very long. Yeah. Um, but I think I should I should just get one that exposes my um, you know, firm teenage abs and not like the hair covered beer belly that I have. <laughs> Although I don't know, that'd be look pretty cool. I, I'd look rich. I think that's what rich people look like, right? Yes, yes. They, they're so rich that they uh, can afford to not buy the whole shirt. I think that's how that works. Glenn has this okay. conversation with his mom shortly before he dies. Yeah, the uh, yeah, where she's just like, you need to go to sleep, and he's just like, oh, no, I'm watching TV. You know, Miss Nude America is on, you know, in an hour or something. And she's, and and, and she's like, yeah, but, uh, but how, can you, how can you watch TV and listen to music at the same time? And so she's like, yeah, but you won't be able to hear what she, she says. And, and then his response is, um, "I don't need to," or something like that. Yeah, and, and she's, she's like, like "Don't, don't be, be smart such a smart guy." And, and I like the implication yeah. that yeah, she's like, "Of course you're interested in what Miss Nude America has to say. <laughs> don't be, don't be silly, Glenn. You little scoundrel." <laughs> like that's the that was the problem with that conversation was that oh no, <laughs> don't pretend not to care what the naked lady has to say. No it's son of mine. America is a real thing. I I I. I I assume no, but... Uh, but I, I mean, I doubt it's aired on network television in 1984. Yeah, that seems sort of uh, unlikely. Uh, maybe it's a pirate America. station. Like, did, did you notice the, the, the TV station he's watching, the uh, station identification comes on? It's it's KRGR. Kruger? Kruger? Oh! Eh? Eh? Ah. So I, I, I'm assuming that that station identification was part of the dream. especially since he was Evil Dead at some point, right? Really? Uh, that, that movie that they were supposed to be watching, I think that was supposed to be Evil Dead, according to the IMDb notes, which is another, uh, like, it follows sort of a thing where they're constantly watching horror movies, yeah. except this time they just do it the once. Yeah, I, did, I didn't um, notice it, but uh, I, I believe it. 
Also, seriously, Glenn is so bad at falling, not falling asleep. Yeah. He's so bad. It's amazing how bad he is at this. Like, I, I think he's even... I think he was credulous about the whole Freddy Krueger thing, but maybe not so much. Maybe he was just, like, being an understanding boyfriend and so being supportive of her uh, He is understanding and supportive at the same time. He's still kind of shitty and just does not do the right thing when he needs to do the thing. Yeah. And then he gets ate by his bed. But 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 what if what if Glenn's actually narcoleptic? What if it's an uh. un- like 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 just mildly, not like not something where he's like frequently falling asleep in a fucking New York man? What is that? Uh. <laughs> Subway construction. I you can I live um I live one block away from the elevated subway. Like you can see it from my windows, and uh, this weekend they're doing construction on it. But it is way too hot to have the windows closed. So. Uh. I, I, that's okay. Our audience can enjoy the the, the ambience. Uh, <laughs> bringing this to you live from Grand Central. <laughs> anyway, basically, I'm glad that Glenn died because he was shitty at being a, 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 a resourceful protagonist. And a, you know, I think that's what the thing is. In the original script, Glenn was much more useful. But IJ Depp showed up. He's like, no, no, this is what we got to do with this. We got to have this guy. We got to go. He's, he's got to fucking suck. He's got to die. Fucking his TV. While it's playing KRGR, and and Wes Craven was like, "Kid, nobody talks to me like that, except you. You're right. Let's work it out. We'll unwrite the part of the film where he and Nancy work together to triumph over credit, credit and and we'll just replace it with something else. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe uh, that MacGyver show. I like that show. We'll have her do some booby traps. That's what we'll do instead of the satisfying character resolution I had originally written. And I J Depp was like, "I'm going to be on Jump Street," and then they high five. <laughs> You know, he got this movie by accident. He was driving his friend uh, to audition for this movie, and his friend didn't get the part, but he did. Oh, that's you know the shittiest thing. Uh, the guy that ended up playing Freddy Krueger in the remake. Really? Yep. That's 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 some weird fucking uh, stuff there. Did that guy do anything in between, or was he just waiting 30 years uh, uh, plotting see. Craven's death? For making Johnny Depp a star and him not, he yeah, been, yeah. I that could have been me. Yeah, and I'm that, that talented. That, that's that's why the 2010 film happened. Wes Craven was like, "Look, this guy's not very prompt about this, but I'm pretty sure he's going to kill me. So can we? Can he we?" He was in the pilot for an American remake of The Young Ones. Yeah, well, that's, that's something. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't have a lot to his name. He was in. Uh, he he got a bunch of awards for being in a movie called, or got a bunch of nominated for a bunch of stuff, including Academy Award uh, for Best Supporting Actor for Little Children. Don't know it. Yeah, this looks like a serious movie. Yeah, and are he didn't work much. He did not do a single film between '93 and 2006. Interesting. I think he's just been biding his fucking time. Uh, maybe he's he, he's he's been doing a lot of work in dreams. He's been uh, in he's real dreams. Yes, I walk with you. I was thinking of the Weezer song for whatever the what? reason. The Weezer song off the end of uh, set off the end of the Blue Album. Um, Only dreams. I think it is. Yeah, man, I loved that album as a kid. It's, I, I love that album still. I, I sort of came. I haven't listened to it since like 1999. Uh, that's a that's a reliable one. I'll throw that on you know two or three times a year, uh, just at random. But like every once in a while, I'll just like. I need to listen to some loud, you know, well-produced poppy rock, and that album will just be, you know, on repeat for a, a few hours sometimes. It's still, it's it's super solid, you know. Uh, 
their subsequent output has been uh, spotty. I didn't like Pinkerton. I, do, I and I haven't listened to any. And I mean, I think I heard one song like Hashpipe. I heard Hashpipe, which was a single they had. Yeah, that many, was off the many years ago Green album. Uh, th- I thought the Green album was good too. It, it, so, so they did the Blue album, they did Pinkerton, and then I think the Green album. And the Green album was sort of like, hey, let's do the Blue album again instead of what we did with Pinkerton. Uh, and and I, I, it took me a while to warm up to Pinkerton, and I still don't enjoy it in the same style that I enjoy the Blue album. But it really is a good album. It is an interesting sort of picture of like, what if Weezer had gone in a really different direction creatively than where they went? Which at this point, some of their later outputs been so sort of like samey, but not as good that like I kind of would like to see that alternate future instead. Uh, but anyway, the, the blue album's good. The green album I find similarly good for just like I want to listen to a bunch of poppy rock done loud from guys who like metal but aren't quite making metal. Is my take on it. And you're you're listening to we have such Weezer albums to show you. Um, <laughs> I had a couple more little notes on the film, but I'm pretty much done. Uh, the Home Alone um, stuff was really fucking odd. Yeah. And hitting hitting Freddy in the chest with a sledgehammer uh, turns out to be a pretty underwhelming thing to show on. Yeah, I, yeah, I thought it was going to like hit him in the head and there'd be like an effect or something, like some glop or, or something. But no, it just sort it just of like, you know, ow. knocks his air out and then he's just like, ah, fuck, this... This slowed me down for a couple of seconds. Yeah, then the shotgun just, light yeah. bulb exploding is like, hey, it's an explosion, but... Uh, it missed him. Yeah. She... I mean, I, I guess she didn't have anywhere else to wire it, but you think you'd maybe figure out a way to get the trip wire closer to the actual explosion so it's not, like, several feet away from him when it goes off? Yeah, the whole thing... It, it seems like a whole little thing that, like, they were trying to establish something with Nancy's resourcefulness and with the idea of some set piece stuff, but it just was not a set piece that did anything for the film. It just felt kind of dumb at that point. Um, I did like the line uh, going back to uh, the kid, uh, IJ Depp's uh, death area, the guy showing up and saying, hey, uh, you don't need a stretcher up there. You need a mop. mop. (laughs) I thought that was the best dick line in the whole film. That was kind of nice. Um, um, I have a I have a quote in my notes that I can't read, and then I have the response that I wrote, which is just the words "eat a dick, bro," <laughs> but I don't know what it applies to. <laughs> that's some salt. That's that's what people tune in for. They, this this kind of keen insight into the filmmaking process. I have a punchline and no joke. Oh, um, I like when uh when they're in the sleep institute and they're like monitoring her from like the next room. And um, Nancy's mom just, like, casually lights up a cigarette. It's like, yeah, no, that's fine. Definitely just light up in this health establishment. It's the fucking 80s. You, you can do that. Um, don't think you can do that anymore. I don't think you just light up yeah. a cigarette at the sleep institute. I'm in a medical facility. I'm smoking up. Um, the doctors are. <laughs> uh, there's a... Oh, jeez. There, there's, a, there's a painting. There's a painting in the basement of Nancy's house. Uh, and it's a painting of like dogs playing pool, and you can clearly see it behind Freddy burning and screaming in the basement. <laughs> and that's that. I, I, yeah, I just like I liked that it was there. I liked that it was there. Um, I had I had another specific like thing I wanted to complain about or talk about, and I, I've lost it now. It, it slipped away from me. But uh, anyway, Nightmare on Elm Street. This was. Uh, 
this was a, a, a film I was glad to sit down and, and, and watch again, even though yeah. apparently at this point it really does exist for me as just more an artifact than something that I'm specifically like, oh, yeah, it's such a good movie. We should watch that movie for subjective movie experience reason X. And, and I overcame my fear of watching exactly this movie to watch this movie, and I'm proud of myself. I am proud of you. I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad we. I'm glad we had different experiences. We're still never uh, doing the strangers, it. though. Fuck that. The strangers. I, I don't even Was know it, that. Is it the strange? Is it called the strangers? It's a, it's a home invasion movie um, about this couple and like all oh, these people yeah, masks yeah, yeah, show up, yeah, and home invade them. Yeah, uh, just specifically to torture them, and yeah, that was another movie. Like I watched around the same time, and I think that was like the first time being like, I don't have to prove shit to anybody. I'm turning this off. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't. I, I, I we've talked about this before. How like yeah, home invasion specifically is kind of like a not even fucking going there genre uh, for you. It, I don't have the same strong feelings about it, but I can't imagine ever enjoying one of those. Like not even in the sense of like I enjoy watching a saw movie. Like they're 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 gross and you know fundamentally in 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 a lot of ways sort of like unfun sort of you know more modern you know horror right. porn stuff but there's still something sort of weird and wacky and fundamentally silly about the premise of of like Saw in particular I, I think Saw gets away with it partly because Jigsaw as this mastermind at the center of everything and the sort of gimmicky traps and whatnot brings a kind of horror levity to it that you might not get from I assume yeah, I mean, something the traps like, are supposed to be like super like out there, right? Yeah, like like you're not watching this thinking, this seems like a really realistic take on the the human condition here. You're like, oh okay. This crazy, you know, this crazy contraption will murder you in a horrible way unless you do this, you know, gross thing. You know, it it it, it feels a little bit more like, you know, the reality T V version of horror uh Whereas, like, hey, what if you were, you know, stalked and brutalized and terrorized by sociopaths? Yeah. It's kind of harder to get like, oh, yeah, this sounds fun. Yeah, no, I, I really liked the scene where they were terrified for an hour and a half by someone who, for unknown reasons, wanted to do them harm just to enjoy watching them experience terror. Yeah, that was that was, uh, that was, that was my favorite scene. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a different sort of feel. And so I can sort of get there. Like, I, I'm interested in films that do a good job with that still, but it doesn't have the same sort of, oh, yeah, let's watch that sort of feeling. More of like... I guess I'm interested enough to watch this right now. Um, hmm. Oh, you know, I did have one question. At one point, uh, Nancy is sort of muttering the one, two, Freddy's coming for you thing under her breath. Is that Where when did she's... Yeah, is that when she's in the bathtub and trying not to fall asleep, and so she's singing a repetitive rhyme to herself? <laughs> it might have been then. I don't remember exactly. But anyway, she learned that somewhere. Does she know that she learned that somewhere? Did she learn that from little girls singing in previous dream sequences? Um, the very first scene when all the teens are together, one of them says, "It's like, hey, you know, it's a, maybe it's Freddy Krueger, like in that old rhyme. Oh no, maybe it's like Freddy, like in that old rhyme. Like they mentioned that rhyme oh, already having been they? established. Ah, I totally like missed that." Thing. I totally missed I mean, that. I, yeah, I, I think because what I remember is like the the one two phrase coming from you thing happening in the first non sleepy scene. Like, like like we open with uh, Tina being menaced uh, in an you know industrial boiler setting right. uh, and and whatnot, along with also like uh, the building of the hand scene and whatnot. 
Um, and then and then we get an awake thing, and that's where the gorgeous line up yours with a twirling lawnmower came from. Was during the scene where it's daytime, the kids are walking along, we're establishing them as our quartet of teens who keep mentioning that they also had a dream, but haven't quite put the whole thing together yet. But that that scene opens with a shot, a real gauzy, dreamy shot of you know little girls jump roping and reciting line, and it sort of pans to the right and gets less gauzy and hits them walking down the sidewalk. And so and the little girls the are singing shot it right the there. Movie. Wait, yeah. Is it? Um, yeah, it's it's. I don't think it's quite the closing, but yeah, it's it's the same basic structure in the closing. Um, oh yeah, no, actually, we get. I think we get the jump roping girls after we've after already established that it's away. the Freddy Mobile. Yeah, so we get the yeah, girls. Yeah, I think after the car pulls away, the girls thing that the camera fades on. Yeah, yeah, it maybe pans back over. So, so yeah, it's like a, it's a it's a question: Is that opening scene trying to suggest that there is actually this lapse in the border between dream and reality? Uh, even in what seems like an unambiguously awake scene, uh, or is it meant to be a figure thing where we're as a, as a viewer supposed to dissociate the little girls from the reality scene that it literally pans over to in the same shot, or are we supposed to in fact assume that this is so they they actually mentioned the nursery rhyme like as like part of dialogue because I missed that, and that does change my analysis of that entirely because that just makes it sort of unexceptional also. Also, a little bit weird that people, everybody knows about the nursery rhyme, and yet don't know about Freddy Krueger. That's but I, I, I guess I guess if you know nursery rhymes about Jack Spratt and don't realize that Jack Spratt was in fact a murderer thirty years ago, yeah. that could happen too. Jack so. Spratt killed a lot of kids in this. Jack Spratt could eat no fat, and so he had a psychotic breakdown. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, okay. I I, yeah. I I guess I retract that. That ending music. It's a nightmare. It's just a dream. A dream. No, it's a nightmare. I want to find that song. Did you listen to that? I did not. It's amazing. It's really kind of great. It's like it's it's like a call and response song where one of the like 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 the call is some guy shouting in sort of kind of goofy vocals like it's a nightmare, and then the the, the response is another voice singing. It's just a dream. A dream. He's like, no, it's a nightmare. It's a, it, I, I feel like the song should have gone on for like four or five more minutes and gotten more and more. So like, no, I assure you, it is in fact a nightmare. No, it's just a dream. It's Dude, a dream. It's, Dave's not here. Yeah, it's anyway. It was it was something, but we won't discuss that because you didn't listen to that. But uh, that song, it had a song. Uh, it did not seem to actually mention a nightmare on Elm Street, so it doesn't quite count as a uh, eponymous it's... song. But uh, it was definitely in the right territory. Um, I wonder if it was written for it or if someone had already written that awesome song that Wes Craven just came across it. Uh, I wonder. Yeah. Oh, also, she, Nancy, has a talking watch. It's like a digital watch. That- uh, yeah, yeah. It's like one of those, like, you know, to, you know, Casio, like, I mean, now, I don't know how much they were in 1984, but now it's like, you know, it's 10 bucks at the store unless there's some sort of fancy watch people version of it. But yeah, none of those watches have, like, a built-in speaker, and I don't think no... Watch ever has a war as an alarm before for the last ten seconds of the alarm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah that seems like was, a maybe take yeah, some liberties. Yeah, that was definitely one of those. Uh, yeah, it was definitely one of those like clamshell uh, e-reader things. Where it's just like, all right, um, you know, inexplicable, uh, pointlessly futuristic technology. I guess. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't serve the film at all. Maybe in 1984, just being pointless and futuristic was you know entertaining enough its own right. Like people were like, "That's an awesome watch. I wish I had a talking watch." Whereas now, it's like, just use your use your phone, use your phone. Um, all right. Well, I, I think I, I'm I'm going to say that I have no further comment at this time. 
Yeah, I, I am out of notes. Uh, I yeah, I I'm glad we watched this. I yeah, mean, well, I'm glad we'll be doing. Uh, did, you, did you want to just do New Nightmare for next episode? I think let's do it. Let's keep, while it's yeah. fresh. I think I think it'll benefit from a close viewings uh, one yeah. after the other. And that one I'm really excited about. That one I have like often wanted to watch and just never watched because um, because it uh, what do you call it? Uh, because of your butt. Yeah, yeah, because of my butt. No, because um, I just thought that you had to watch like the rest of them or a oh, bunch of the yeah. other ones of them, and just you know, I I, I knew it requires uh, it required you know uh, there was a prerequisite for this movie to make sense. Yeah, I, I I suspect I suspect having watched this one would actually be sufficient, and sort of knowledge that the franchise had existed in the meantime is probably fine for the rest. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what we see. All right. Well, we'll do that. So we'll do that in a couple of weeks, and uh, and 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 that's that's that. I think. Uh, yeah. Facebook, Tumblr, do the things. Say hello, uh, and uh, we'll 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 see you around. And thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Let the force be with you. Yeah. <laughs>